1: Weight room, yeah, just
2: got an hour workout in, no big deal. Um, Yeah, just uh, bench press, medicine ball, yeah, the whole shebang. So, yes, Max uh, slept right behind me, as you can see, a little pack-and-play action. And uh, we do have kind of a sick child, Rosie Bowen, a little under the weather this morning. But uh, outside of that, night one here, or I guess night two, I should say, um, all things pretty, pretty smooth.
1: Now, wait a minute, so so you are at a compound for a family reunion, right? Like 40 of you... Mm-hmm. compound sounds a little mafia like which i'm glad that we've gone there <laughs> so i want to know like what in witness protection or something that's right <laughs> i want to know what the craziness was that ensued last night what like maybe um popcorn family movie night charades ice cream what do we got going on probably aunt nancy going alone in euchre twice wow that's are big. you a euchre guy i do like you i haven't played it you know i have not played it in quite some time college a lot you know what i mean mm-hmm. so yeah um but i haven't played it in years I, i'm curious because i i kind of forget how to play it like how long would it take me to pick it back like like One hand, probably. I'd figure it back out.
2: Yeah, yeah. Once, yeah. If someone just played the cards, you know, face up, I think with your brain, you would be able to handle it pretty quickly. Uh, But yeah, yesterday it was kind of. I don't know what it was like in Indy, but it was kind of overcast. But I mean, these kids, I mean, there's so many grandkids here. They'll go in the water at any temperature. So, uh, spent a lot of time in the water there. And last night, for the most part, was pretty tame. We tried to get Florida LSU going, but I feel like it was a little in and out. Sounded like just missed a route by LSU to clinch the College World Series, but. Outside
1: of a few card games, it was uh, it was a pretty quiet Monday night here. You could have also waited on uh, Cute Fella and the Reds last night, which <sighs> we'll get to <sighs> as well. But good morning to you. It is a Tuesday. Jake Querry here, along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton, flying the command force. It is Kevin and Query here on ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan. We're going to talk plenty about the Pacers draft this morning. As a matter of fact, Mark, you dipped into your rolodex and lined up not one but two college coaches, right? Yep. So we've got, <clears throat> excuse me. So we've got uh, assistant
3: coach uh, Kellen Sampson, who's also the position coach for Jarris Walker. He'll join us at 9:30, and then we've got the Belmont head coach Casey Alexander joining us at 8 o'clock to give us a little more or 8:15 to give us a little more insight into uh, Ben Shepherd. A lot of people were
1: asking a little more information on him. We've got the head coach to tell you all about him. You know, Kevin, Ben Shepherd's an interesting one because we've talked so much about Jairus Walker. We really haven't gotten into that. Uh, you know, this is a guy that certainly we know is apparently a mature player and a really good shooter. But, you know, when you're coming out of Belmont, it's not like they're on national television every week. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was relatively unfamiliar with him until I heard his name on draft night.
2: Yeah, you know Belmont has had some ties here locally. Obviously, Dylan Windler being the biggest of those names when he got drafted by the Cavs, whatever that was, three years ago, is popping in my head. And then uh, Sam Orm, a kid from Carmel, is down there as well now. And so the, they have had some Indianapolis, Indiana type, you know, products play for them. I would say the one, um, one of the you know big questions I have for Casey Alexander when he joins us in today's climate. It's almost surprising, rather shocking, to see a four-year mid-major go in round one. Like, it, it, if you're a mid-major, I don't know if Taylor Hendricks would have qualified. I mean, Houston is too big of a program, but let, let's go with like Taylor Hendricks in Central Florida. And I don't know, they're in the American, so maybe they might not qualify as a mid-major. But in today's college basketball, I mean, wasn't Ben Shepard just getting hounded in the transfer portal? I mean, couldn't you have imagined all of the fanfare that would have been around him? The fact that he stayed at Belmont for his senior season this past year. And so, I don't know, I'm just curious, kind of, Casey Alexander's thoughts on that. Shepard did say uh, at his press conference on Friday that was something that some teams definitely had interest in him, but he decided to stick it out for all four years at Belmont. And again, that's out of the norm, I think, in today's college basketball. Um, You know, we talked about this after he was drafted on Friday the thing that also kind of stands out to me about Shepard is, yes, the shooting ability and 41 in a game in his junior year and 35 and 33 in his senior year in separate games. I mean, he he has that type of ability. But when I think of mid-major shooters, I often think they are then a major liability on the other end of the floor. Like that's kind of what held them back from maybe going to a higher major school. And that's not the case with Shepard. Uh, he was an all- first-team defender in the Missouri Valley this past season. So um, he will rock number 26, which is someone – I think Greg pointed this out to me. Uh, Wasn't that Jeremy Lamb's old number? That sounds right. You kind of like see a little bit of – see a little bit of Jeremy Lamb and Ben Shepherd's game with kind of how they move off screens uh, like skin tones a little bit the same if you want to go their 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 profile as well uh, and I think he could have that type of role of just kind of being that that shooter with the second unit and we'll see what happens with Buddy Heald and, and how he projects moving forward so I, I'm
1: I'm old enough to remember and maybe this is just like my own this might be something I made up Kevin I, I know that's shocking but I seem to remember, in whatever reason, I had it in my mind that there was a time where and Dennis Rodman, I think, is the one that broke this mold. But I remember a time when the rumor was that in the NBA or in college basketball, you could not have a jersey number where either of the two numbers was higher than five because when the official came over to the scoring table to say like what a foul was on, he needed to use just the two hands. You know, 5-4, thir- 3 five, and, and so, like, it was never, and then Dennis Rodman went to number 99 or whatever, and all bets were off. I, so, I, I, the 26, like, throws me off, right? But Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, how many different numbers did Artest World Peace have in his career? Oh, yeah, I mean, he was 15, he was, what was the other number he wore here? He was definitely was 15 90, here, right? I think he was 23 at one point, that's 91 right. at one
2: point. 91. He probably that's... was 69 at one point, knowing him. Okay, okay. You
1: know, when it comes to Belmont, because you think to yourself, like, okay, you know, different leagues, like you said, non-Power 5 leagues, right? Right. You wonder what the level of competition is. But I think one of the things we don't talk about, and I have no idea the answer to this, but are the European professional leagues that some players are coming out of, what conference are they the equivalent of in terms of competitiveness? You know, like, and the answer probably is major D1. I mean, they're professional players that have been playing professionally in Europe. But, you know, Luka or, you know, Jokic, whoever it might be, Giannis, the level of of league they were playing in, in their respective home nations or, or home areas, that would be the equivalent of what level of college basketball conference. Are we just assuming that they were playing in the ACC every night? Yeah, I remember when Doncic came out. Was he, right? for some
2: reason, Real Madrid is popping into my head, and I know that's more of a prominent soccer club than anything, but I felt like he played for that team or one of those kind of just well-known European teams. And it seemed like, because his numbers weren't, like, insane. I mean, hell, he walked into the NBA and seemingly has been a triple-double from, from day one. But I think the thought was when he was playing that final year over there it was the second best league in in basketball right regardless of of professional collegiate level but yeah that is something that I'm always curious about and again I I know Indiana and Purdue necessarily and Notre Dame and and, and even Butler all those schools they don't really get a lot of foreign players on their collegiate roster like Gonzaga certainly has been very prominent with that Uh, but that is always something that I'm interested in of like oh how are you projecting this guy over here, uh, I mean, certainly you have some international scouting history, and, and and you trust people that have probably seen those guys play, uh, not only uh, in person, but have seen the competition that they play against, and all of those things. So, looking forward to that conversation with Casey Alexander coming up at eight fifteen. Again, he is the Belmont head coach. Ben Shepard, the twenty-six overall pick by the Pacers, Tony East at. 8.40-ish. Um, looking forward to talking with Tony. He can kind of help us get straight on Okay, exactly what does the Oscar Sheboy thing mean as he's on a two-way contract. Uh, the old draft and stash seems to be in play for one of the second round picks. Uh, and then Tyrese Halliburton is due a huge extension. Or by all accounts, seems like he's going to get that uh, here this summer. So want to get Tony's thoughts on that. And then Kellen Sampson will kind of round out our guest trio here on this tuesday morning i don't know if he said that but good tuesday morning to you is it just the glare off the window right now
1: or is it actually sunny and indie? no that's a glare off the window sorry um okay it is it's smoggy here yeah what did you say mark on your drive in i mean you could barely see downtown i
3: got a I one of those air quality like alerts that says poor and i was like oh it that seems fine and i was driving in on 70s like you can't see the city it was like now, a silhouette it, of buildings. is
1: this an overcast like from the clouds are are we like on some smog alert? I have no idea.
2: Somebody right. up here tried to say it's it's more Canadian fires.
1: I think that's possible.
2: Cuz it's super, I mean it is like visibility right now you can't see
1: anything up here. Really? Well you're not yeah, far honey from, granted, You're you're like you're what like you're like 75 yards from Canada, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about 75 yards, but
2: uh probably yeah, probably the closest I've ever been to Canada outside of uh, Buffalo
1: and Niagara Falls. So wait a minute. So you are six hours north of here, right? In Michigan. But you are how yep. far up Michigan? Like, how far are you from the UP?
2: We are 20 minutes south of Traverse City, which obviously you've got a whole other peninsula to go to, right? Or go through. Yeah. So, to. another.
1: but Traverse City is the last stop before the UP, right? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but the upper, and people from Michigan will tell you this, the upper peninsula is like, a, it's like a whole different world. Like you go up there, and they have their own language, they have their own currency, it's a totally different world. The the upper peninsula Well your
2: boy uh your boy Jake Witt, remember the Colts draft pick, the seventh round pick? He yeah. was the Upper Peninsula Mr. Basketball.
1: <laughs> See, like I told you, they don't they have their own Mr. Basketballs. They have their own Literally. everything, right? And <laughs> northern Kentucky's really good at hockey, right? My correct. no, northern Michigan you mean. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah. Northern yes, thank you. Northern um, Michigan, yeah. My roommate in college. I had a roommate in college from the Upper Peninsula, from Channing, Michigan, and literally, it, it, like, his family would come down, and we actually uh, we had to subtitle everything because I couldn't understand. <laughs> I mean, it, like, at, at one point, um, w- he he went home for a weekend and came back, and I kid you not, and offered me jerky, right? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll take some. Who doesn't like beef jerky, right? So I take a bite of it. And I'm like, this is really salty. Like, what w- what flavor is this? And he goes, oh, it's that's squirrel. <laughs> Excuse me? And it was squirrel jerky. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. Hang on. First off, what part of the squirrel is, the, is big enough, right, to, to get like a whole like link of, of jerky out of it? he begun this squirrel out in the backyard and then turn it into squirrel jerky here? Oh, I mean, the, and then he, he would tell me like, oh, yeah, we'd be on our way to school and like, you know, we'd, we'd hit a deer you know, and then, like, we'd, if it was fresh enough, you know, that we'd take it to school, we'd have, and they'd, they would, like, cook it. I'm like, no way. Crazy. Mark, do you girls watch Frozen?
2: I feel like Jake sounds like one of those characters
1: in oh, yeah.
3: Frozen right now. Yeah, the Icelanders or the you know, yeah the Scandinavians.
1: Oh, there. Yeah. Hey, go out there and get yourself a couple of Rhinelanders. You know, the, I'll tell you, the walleyes are biting today. God, you sound uh, like my Uncle Al right now. <laughs> I'm
2: telling you. Speaking of of Canada, I I don't know if this is a good transition or not, but Canada has produced a few Colts football players here of recent. uh, Colts training camp schedule will be announced later today, so that's coming up. Nothing like the announcement to announce the schedule for training camp. That's what we got late last week. Um, So up at Grand Park, again this season, projecting July 25th, 26th probably. That'll be a start date. Not sure if that is report day of the first practice, but um, I am interested, Jake, you know, what exactly, how long their stay will be up there. Um, I think it could be a little bit shorter than last year. We know they'll have two joint practices against the Bears, and I believe Jim Mercer has mentioned before, those will be evening practices. So obviously considering the location of Chicago, and I would just say in general the appeal of Anthony Richardson, those will be very highly attended practices. Uh, and then exactly what will the times be? You know, will they do morning? Will they do afternoon practices? Um, I know a lot of people... Enjoy bringing the family out there late July, early August. It is a terrific, terrific viewing experience. You are as close to the action as you can imagine. You get to watch the entire practice. It's free. Um, all of those boxes are, are checked. So uh, look for that a
1: little bit later today. By the way, when it comes to – and this was just sent to me from our friend Sean Ash over at WTHR um, – Chicago has the worst air quality in the country right now. Canadian wildfire smoke is blowing into the region, making air quality unhealthy for all groups. Close windows, limit outdoor activity, and bring masks on Tuesday and Wednesday in Chicago. Uh, That apparently is headed towards Indianapolis and is expected to be bad on both today and tomorrow.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm now seeing this. um, Someone tagged us in a tweet here from Chuck Lofton with a map, and, yeah, it looks like a little red bubble over Indianapolis of unhealthy. A very interesting shape here of the unhealthy air quality stretching into northern Indiana. (laughs) Yeah, it's not favorable. Um, so are we looking at, like, Cubs, White Sox, Tigers, if they're at home? Or are we looking at canceled games there? Didn't we have that earlier this we year? We did. And I,
3: yeah, I New would York. Say when they were in New possible. York, it was crazy the, with the air quality with all the wildfires. Why
1: stuff. couldn't
2: they cancel that Reds game last night? Yeah. Well, they tried. I mean, wasn't it delayed, like, several hours? Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, ugly for the Reds last night as they lose to Jake's Orioles. Um, 10-3, was that the final? I'm a Reds And that spanner. College World Series well, game... Gosh, right. LSU just jumped all over them in the second and the fourth, and that game was out. Florida got all their hitting out on Sunday, I guess. And you feel bad for,
1: and it was, it was cool the way that they handled it at the end of the game. I didn't sit down and watch from first pitch to last pitch of the game, but I kind of went back and forth, and I saw the 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 catcher for LSU. I don't know if you saw that play where you know he was he was running home trying to beat a tag to home, and he kind of jumped up to avoid the tag and when he landed he fractured his leg uh went down instantly it was but at the end of the game they you know they they kind of wheeled him out so that he could also be part of the celebration and everything else i mean it's the last game of the year so hopefully he comes back recovers from that but uh yeah i mean you want to talk about offensive explosions in the college world series it was florida's turn in game two and then in game three lsu yesterday with 18 runs the tigers now national champions so they have now won What, football, women's basketball, and baseball within three years of each other? Something like that? Yeah, I saw
2: last night ESPN flashed up there. They're the first college program ever to win a baseball national title and a basketball national title in the same year. That is men or women on that front. Obviously, we we remember Angel Reese and that performance for LSU. uh, Outstanding offensive clinic, really, against Iowa in the national title game back in April. Speaking of college, did you ever have you ever attended the Manning Passing Academy? No. I mean I know of it. Yeah, I, I didn't know if you know. Whenever you're covering the the Colts, if you know, okay, Peyton's talking one time in the off season. You got to come yeah, to. Did you ever Austin go down to P- it? No, I, I I've I've never been. Um, for those unfamiliar with it, basically, it's the best collegiate quarterbacks um, all come together. I think they invite some high schoolers as well. And you know, Peyton, Eli, Cooper, Archie, everybody's down there. And they have a quarterback camp, uh, typically this time of year, you know, right around June and July. I saw the winner of this year's camp, and it, I feel like he's kind of a forgotten guy. It's a feel-good story, and I'm very interested to see where he will find himself, not only in the Heisman race at the end of this season, but also on NFL draft boards next year. The winner of the Manning Passing Academy for this season was Michael Penix,
1: Jr. I'm telling you, that guy can play, man. And I don't, Kevin, I don't remember, what was the circumstance under which he left Indiana? Did he just on his own decide to transfer, or was he kind of, was he hurt? Well, hurt for sure. I mean, injuries were were a big
2: issue. Um, A lot of offensive staff turnover. You know, his head coach at Washington right now is the former O.C. at Indiana for him, so um, Kalen Bores, uh, I think Fresno State was a stop in between those two um, but yeah, injuries certainly played into it, I, again, I think offensive staff turnover um, but like, I, Pennix is going to put up I think crazy numbers just like he did last year uh, Washington I think is kind of a sleeper playoff team a lot of people are talking about out there they feel like the Pac-12 will get you know Washington or USC probably into the playoff as long as those teams don't have any you know out of character slip-ups there but you know I I don't think he's on Caleb Williams Drake May level and just knowing the little bit of Penix that we watched in Indiana I don't think he's going to wow you from a physical stature running ability standpoint but is there a bit of Drew Brees Accuracy to his game that I don't know, late first round something like that. Um, obviously, I want to see how Washington does this year, and I'm rooting for the kid because he battled a lot of injuries in his time in Bloomington. Uh, but he, he's kind of a forgotten name. And it's not often you talk about the Indiana football program and think of man, what could have been with a guy like that who who transferred somewhere and had great great success. But he certainly is atop that list. You know
1: the the I'm looking it up here by the next NFL draft, he will be a few weeks away from turning 24 years old. And that's always like the knock, right? Like, well, he's too yeah. old. Um, yeah, we saw that with Hendon Hooker. We saw that with Will Levis a little bit. The, the Manning Academy, though, I'm curious of this. Like, is that the kind of thing where, like, I mean, how does that work? Is it invite only? Do, do coaches pull strings to get their guy into it? Is it, like, a, a camp? Like, do they each have, like, do they get up each morning and they have, like, a packed lunch and then they do, like... the Are m- they
2: playing euchre at night? Is that what you're asking? Right. Like, how does it work? Is it just a... Is it a day I believe camp? it's invite only. And then didn't we have the drama last year with C.J. Stroud, like, declining the invitation? Wasn't that, like, part of the right. C.J. Stroud? That's right. You know, we're going to rip his character five days before the draft for some wild reasons there. And lo and behold, he goes number two overall. Yeah, I, I believe it is invitation only i mean wouldn't you think isn't that kind of manning exclusive
1: action there but like do they put does somebody pull strings like you know all of a sudden the the quarterback of texas pan american corpus christi is there because his dad was you know roommates with archie at old miss type you know what i mean i mean how, how does it work like how many do they have what do they do do they get up every morning and they're like okay now today we're gonna have this drill Joel Cornette's yeah, coming I, I, and picking up kids for taking charges in the parking lot, that kind of thing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, your
2: your snack card, you get five, four punches today and, and three punches on your snack card tomorrow. And the fun dip ran out on Tuesday, so there, there's no fun dip available today. That's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. I We need an E60. We need a 30 for 30 on the Manning Passing Academy. By the way, for those that are unfamiliar, because Kevin is, is working remote, you know, one of the... The interesting things about technology in 2023 we are on we have each other uh we can see one another via a microsoft teams and so i'm looking at, at kevin and he is wearing a headset that is part of the remote equipment that we have here at the radio station this looks identical to every camera shot you have ever seen of defensive and offensive coordinators inside a box during an nfl game like when they show the, the shot, like you're leaning in, you're looking over something, you're very intense. It literally looks like you're getting ready to call out a play. You're looking over How about things. This? <laughs> He's now covering his mouth with the folder so he can't see what's going on. I have always thought... Do I look like Sean McVay right now? Yeah. I, I, I've never understood, Kevin, with the... So th- this bewilders me. This is my million dollar idea that I'm going to throw out there and somebody else is going to hear it. and They're going to rip it off and then they're going to make a million dollars and I'm still going to be doing radio. With the headsets they wear, is it Motorola now that they wear? Who, who is it like the official headset? It changes every year, right? Yeah, I, so I have the, no idea. The coaches have the headset that has the, the microphone that comes in front of them like they're working a drive-thru somewhere. And they all hold up the play sheet or a folder or whatever so you can't see their mouth to see what they're saying. Now, how hard would it be with the little microphone dealio to just have, like, a guard on it? Like, literally, remember Walter Payton's mouthpiece, the mouthpiece that had, like, like, they were always the cooler mouthpieces, the one that covered all the way around, like, the lip area? How hard would it be to have something like that on the microphone so that when you pull it over to talk into it, you can't see the mouth? How hard would that be? Well, that's not. I mean, that's not football
2: centric. That's not how. That's not how the old school did it. Lombardi had his note card over his mouth. Everybody had the note card over the mouth there. And now Bella Ch- or uh, now Sean McVeigh has decided to do the whole, the whole entire folder.
1: But can't they read the back of the folder? Maybe. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? You could tell by by what they're holding up. You should be able to tell what's going on, right? Oh, they're doing spider. Why banana? We got him now. <laughs> That's right. Exactly.
2: Yeah, Zaire Franklin sniffs it out here for the Colts. Uh, we got a loaded one today. Casey Alexander, the head coach of Belmont, joined us at 8:15. Again, Ben Shepard, the 26th pick of the Pacers last Thursday night. Uh, we'll get some insight into Ben Shepard. Tony East coming up at 8:45. I actually, it's a little early for this, and obviously, we'll see how next week plays out. But I do have a starting lineup question for Tony East. I'm a little confused by you know potentially what the backcourt could look like. To me, it's rather obvious, but I'm hearing a little bit differently from people that are certainly much more in the know than I, so uh, we'll we'll toss that question Tony's way. And then Kellen Sampson, not Kelvin, it'll be Kellen Sampson, the son of Kelvin, is going to join us here. He's an assistant for Houston. He will join us at 9.30 to talk about Jairus Walker and the Houston Cougars. Good Tuesday morning to you. I think it's safe to say, and Jake, feel free to correct me, but it is a uh, um, overcast. It is visibility isn't ideal. Yeah, it's kind Air of a quality smoky day. I mean, I hate to iffy. say that. You know? Yeah, a bit of a smoky day. It certainly is up here in Michigan. It sounds like it's that way in Indianapolis as well. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Kevin Acquire right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.
1: The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Well, last night, Interleague Baseball, the Cincinnati Reds and the Baltimore Orioles. The game was on a long rain delay, and then they finally got underway. Cute Fellows now won three straight, 10-3 last night, over the Cincinnati Reds, who have lost three straight. As a result of that, the Milwaukee Brewers, who were 2-1 winners over the New York Mets, have taken a half-game lead in the National League Central, meaning that the Reds stay atop the standings in the division. Rick Carlisle? Well... It was, uh, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's about right. Do you feel right, you guilty,
4: uh, being a Reds fan? Are you go, yeah, uh, abandoned following this team? Well, where are you going to go? Oh,
1: feels good
2: to play those again. Oh, okay. God. Mark's been waiting for that for eons. You feel guilty with
1: what your cute fellows are doing to the Reds? I, it, it is a little conflicting. Right? I know that, I'm Come sure on, there how? are people that are like, how can you be a fan of two teams? I I don't know that you'd say I'm an Orioles fan. I just like the hat. Different hey, leagues, too. You're ALNL, you're fine. Me. The Orioles are kind of cool, though, right? They play, I mean, they're they're kind of the equivalent in terms of they're not some huge market, big spending team. They play in a cool stadium. It's a cooler stadium than Great America, which is not a good stadium. Um, uh, speaking of the Diamond,
2: last night in Omaha, it was 18-4, to 4, LSU capturing the national title. That's their seventh in baseball. Uh, they pass now or break a tie with Texas for second all-time. USC's got the most in college baseball. That's four in a row for the SEC, 18 runs on 24 hits last night. It was an absolute rout. Uh, Florida, I guess, did score two in the first. Out, uh, after that, it was an 18-2 to run by LSU to end that one as they capture the national title
1: in baseball. By the way, Louisiana State University, now is that like the land-grant school, or is that like the the Liberal Arts College of Louisiana. Do we know? So like in other words is it the Indiana of of Louisiana or the Purdue of Louisiana? That's a good question. Uh what would be the other one? Lafayette. I think it is Lafayette or Monroe. It's one of those two, right? University of There's the University of Louisiana system and then the Louisiana State system. I'm going to guess that Louisiana State is the land grant agricultural and mining school that, that just i have no idea though uh fever last night by the way losing to las vegas 88 80 that puts the fever now at five and nine they're in phoenix on thursday that's a 10 o'clock start phoenix time or indie time obviously um and then back home sunday against chicago <laughs> Uh, last thing I was going to mention, Jake
2: Colts camp announcement again coming up later today. Look for that this afternoon, probably early evening. Actually, again, Grand Park will camp will be. What do you think this says? Year five up there.
1: That sounds right
2: too many, too little? Yeah, something like that. I remember it was an original 10-year contract uh, with Grant Park. So um, look for that announcement later today. I know a lot of people enjoy getting out to Westfield to watch the Colts in training camp. I would assume they'll have some pretty big crowds considering the appeal and the intrigue for Anthony Richardson. Uh, so look for a rundown on that coming up a little bit later. Do you think, um,
1: Kevin, with Richardson, which do you think we will see more of during camp? Will people be more... And I'm talking about media included, more enthused and excited when he has days where he looks really good or more panic buttoned on days when he struggles. which will be oh, the I think gr- people
2: I think people crave the highlight. yeah, I mean, think about how like training camp operates. You know what? There's two thousand people there on a day. Um, one fan throws up a highlight from eleven on eleven, and that's the only thing people see of the whole day. I mean it's so hopefully they will listen to our show for a little bit of context around it, but they're gonna see the big Anthony Richardson throw down the field to Alec Pierce, and that's gonna blow up.
1: Uh when we come back, the Pacers are hoping that not one but two of the guys that they drafted in the first round can blow up in the NBA season. Yesterday we talked to one of them that has some background on Jarriss Walker and he had some interesting comments. We'll replay that for you and also get into a little bit of a preview talking more about how good is the sharpshooter they took with pick twenty six. Those answers when we return to Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.
5: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: All right, coming up in about a half hour, we'll get more into Ben Shepard, again, the 26 overall pick by the Pacers, his head coach from Belmont, Casey Alexander, going to join us. Jake, I, I don't know if we had time with Scott Agnes last Thursday, but there's something that he has brought up here recently, and I know he was in New to Three yesterday, that I would love to ask him, slash, kind of go back and forth on about. Um, he has mentioned, I think, several times, and I hope I'm quoting him accurate, accurately here, that he believes Andrew Nemhard will start next season, and I assume he means over Buddy Heald. I. I would disagree with that. I mean, I, Scott certainly is much more plugged in than I. I would rather see Heald start than Nemhard. Uh, we know Benedict Matherin has mentioned that this offseason the coaching staff has told him he'll be the starting three. So we are going to see Matherin in the starting lineup by all accounts with Tyrese Halliburton finally. So you're looking at Halliburton, Matherin, Turner. Those I think would qualify as the locks. I guess for now you pencil Jarris Walker in. We'll see how free agency plays out next week. Would you go Heald or Nemhard if you're rounding out
1: that starting unit? I I think a big part of that depends on the development of Ben Shepard. Because if Shepard is a guy that looks like he can crack the rotation and be an outside shooter for you, then Heald's spot... In other words... Healed would be a decent off bench player because he would be an instant offense spark, but if Shepard is shooting the ball well and looks like a guy that is comfortable playing at that spot, then I don't know. You know, you got two guys doing the same thing coming off the bench, so I would think you would put you would keep Healed in the starting lineup. Um, but it, I think of Nimhard as more. And I agree with you about Scott Agnes. I mean, he would be very plugged in and is around it, you know, pays very specific and close attention to these things. So I'm not discrediting Scott. And he Scott. doesn't say stuff just to say it either. Yeah, I'm not discrediting him by any stretch. But I, I think of Nimhart, like, if you look at each player, you know, it's a really bad example, Kevin. But I, when I was in – I remember when I played at Eastwood. Now, we're going back to my middle school basketball, okay? There's zero in common that the Eastwood Eagles of 1987 had in common with the Pacers, other than the fact we were blue and gold. But we did have, so I was a reserve for Tony Nibs. We had a system, kind of a platoon system, like Calipari did at Kentucky, where each one of us had the guy the starter that we were responsible for so like if Tony Nibbs needed to come out of the game he didn't even say anything to the coach he would point to me and then I knew to check him because I was his and I feel like to an extent the Pacers kind of have that in the fact of I mean Rick Carlisle calls for whoever it is but you have a general idea when somebody goes in who who they are replacing who is their understudy from the starting standpoint and to me I think of Nimhard being kind of that for Halliburton. I think of his more I, I think of Nimhard more as the the ball handling guy as opposed to the shooting guard. But one of the, I would agree. And, and I could be wrong in that, but in one of the the real values in Nimhard probably is he can do both to be to be quite frank. I you know, I don't know that he's above an eight at either spot but he is like an eight out of ten in both areas so he can do both but I think of him more as Halliburton's understudy and then healed would need like a shepherd off the bench I that's the way I see it now Jarrett Walker
2: coach Cal Eastwood analogy there was that a comparison of coach Cal and the cats
1: to Eastwood yeah Bruce Bowling would have been the John Calipari of college basketball back then although we we did we played uh, West was there a Lane. big blue nation for Eastwood? Well, big blue nation would have been Westlane, and, and it was ridiculous when we played them in the Washington Township tournament. And they they actually stalled. They they pulled like the Milan strategy, and they. Greg Black held the ball on his on his hip for the entire third and part of the fourth quarter. Just ridiculous. That's what he had to do to try to beat Eastwood, because we were strong like that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, Jerris Walker is interesting, Kevin. Yesterday, we talked to Brian Nash, who's the director of basketball at the IMG Academy. And I was under the assumption, when you're talking about the rotation, because let, let's look at it, Kevin. We know Halliburton's going to start at the point, right? And then, does Matherin now become a regular starter? I would think probably so, right? Yeah, that's what, I mean, Matherin has said
2: publicly. Um, you would think that would be the next progression from him. I mean, if you're going to map things out, and again, I assume Walker starts, but we'll see how next week plays out. If you're starting Matherin and Walker, those are two shooters that are not going to be very high on the scouting report for the opponent. I mean, they need to prove themselves as shooters. I mean, obviously, I think both are capable, and Matherin showed he can knock down the outside shot, but not on a super consistent basis. I think you need Buddy out there to space the floor. And I know defensive issues are there but you know that's why the insertion of Walker into the starting lineup you're hoping to offset that a little bit there so I would start healed there let Nemhard run a little bit more of the second unit I know T.J. McConnell's still on the roster um, but that is kind of my line of thinking there and then hopefully you have Ben Shepard and more of that
1: kind of shooter in the second unit role. Okay so when it comes to Jerris Walker who was of course the technically speaking I guess the eighth overall pick in the draft for Indiana even though he was seventh whichever way you want to look at that but I see him when I look at Jarec Walker certainly from a physical standpoint I look at him and I think okay they got this guy because he's like just a dog and and a guy that can that can get rebounds for them and a tough defender but turns out that offensively maybe there is a little more to his game and yesterday when we talked to brian nash who is the director of basketball for img where jarris walker was for four years before going to the university of houston one of the things we discussed is offensively speaking does he have enough game that you can actually design and orchestrate some offensive plays that run through him
6: i think you can play through him because he you know he can he can put the ball on the floor and he can make plays i mean he's a He's a really good straight-line driver. He's got good speed. He knows angles, how to get to the rim. Um, He's a good passer. Uh, when he's making plays off the dribble and then, you know, he's improved his shooting a lot. I mean, if you look at his form and how it's how it's changed over the course of, you know, the last two years and he's put a lot of time into it and, you know, he's, he's a you know, in the NBA, you have to be a serviceable shooter in, in order to play to get on the floor the way the game is right now. So um, I, I definitely think that, you know, consistency in his perimeter shooting has gotten a lot better.
1: You know, he's right about, Kevin. The one thing about the NBA that is amazing to me, literally every guy that steps on the floor hits open shots. I mean, it's just automatic, right? If a guy Now, the key is getting yourself open shots. That, that's harder to do in the NBA. I mean, for, for most guys in the NBA, the trick isn't knocking down a shot. The trick is getting yourself open because the, 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 the window collapses so quickly. The ball rotates so fast. It's a totally different animal, but if you are a guy like a walker that has some size to yourself, then one would you know like, like he said there. I, that that Kevin, that kind of surprised me because I just maybe it's an unfair stereotype to me, but I don't think of him as a guy that because when you're coming out of Houston, you think defense, 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 right? It's almost like any offense out of him would be would be gravy. You know, obviously he'll be the fifth option, you know, whenever he
2: is out there, particularly in that starting lineup made 35 out of 101 threes last year at Houston. That's not a poor percentage to me. Again, for a guy that that is kind of the secondary skill that he would bring, certainly, and probably more like the third skill he would bring because defense and rebounding are easily the two calling cards for him. Uh, Did you see yesterday that a man that is on the Mount Rushmore of potential Pacer trade
1: rumors over the years finally got moved? Uh, I'm trying to think of guys that have been... Kyle Kuzma has been one of those, but... Oh, sure. Kuzma's... Yeah, honestly,
2: with this man coming down from Mount Rushmore, I don't know if you're allowed to do that. Kyle Kuzma might be going up now.
1: <laughs> so so what player on the Mount Rushmore Pacer trade rumors yesterday was dealt? John Collins to the Jazz. And how about that? Atlanta gave him up for... What was the... What did I see that they got back? They got somebody that was like 42 years old in return, right? Pretty Pretty gay. Yeah, Rudy Gay. How old is Rudy Gay? He's up there. I mean, honestly, like Rudy Rudy Gay actually just had an audition yesterday to replace Joe Namath on the ads, right? For. Medicare. Rudy Gay is thirty six. Yeah, I mean, he's thirty six, going on sixty, right? I'm kind of uh, curious, like what. The
2: hawks are doing here is this simply just to like clear up a ton of cap space because deandre hunter has been another name that's been rumored and the pacers have been one of those teams you know when when you hear the pacers right now uh deandre hunter is probably one of the more frequent names free agent wise again you've got connections staff wise harrison barnes and rick carlisle by all accounts are very close um dorian finney smith another guy from dallas uh, would, I think, potentially be in play. Jeremy Grant is a name that I know some people have thrown out there. Depending on how Portland views things, they seem to think or they publicly are saying they're building a winner or trying to build a winner around Damian Lillard. Um, but, you know, Chad Buchanan made it clear to us, Jake, on Friday, like, they tried to move number seven as much as they could. They tried to trade back up for Cam Whitmore. I don't, I don't think he's flat out lying to us. It seems like the Pacers have tried to be very active in pursuit of another three or four type of player, a veteran type, somebody that's a little bit more established in a household name, and I'm curious how the next week will unfold in their efforts to try and
1: acquire that. I don't think, personally, it would surprise me if Kyle Kuzma was on the Pacers' radar. I'm I don't not love saying, his attitude. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that that's definitive, but it, it it would surprise me from things I've heard if Kyle Kuzma was a guy that the Pacers moved all in on. You know, but back to Jarris Walker in, in terms of players that if you're trying to get a feel for a player, and you know, an NBA comp for him. There's one guy actually yesterday that Brian Nash mentioned that I guess is good news because he was a great player. Bad news if you're a Pacer fan because it brings up four-point plays. But the overall initial impression for Brian Nash at IMG of what player he thought of the first time he saw Jerris Walker.
6: When he walked in here, we thought he was Larry Johnson. I mean, just for, for him to have that much size and to be as big as he was as a, you know, a 14, 15 year old it was... It was kind of incredible. Uh, you know, you, you don't see that too much. And the team that he came in on his freshman year—I mean, got three guys that are in the NBA right now. So you know, he, he was coming in, and, and he really had to fit in, had to you know earn everything that he had. And you know, I, I think Jared the, the best way to describe him over over the course of you know his development and what he is now—I mean, he's like a Swiss Army knife. I mean, he can just do a bunch of different things.
2: Jake, I know the body type does not necessarily look like Jairus Walker, but to me, when I've watched Jairus Walker, I, I think a lot of Thaddeus Young in terms of defensive versatility. You know, he will hit an open shot. It's not going to be the most consistent thing in the world, but he can do that. And offensively, more often than not, he's making the right play. And I think that is something that the Pacers have mentioned. That's something Brian Nash talked about with us yesterday. It's, you know, yes, def- defense and rebounding are his calling cards, but offensively, he's got some feel. And he can make the extra pass. He can cut. He can do those things. He's not just this, you know, flat out liability on that end of the floor. But to me, I'd go a little bit, again, it's not body type. Body type, I think. You know, present day, I know it's not a household name, but I think Isaiah Stewart with the Pistons. You know, Jake, I think you've brought up Jake Crowder before. Um, that is a bit of the body
1: type, but for me, kind of style-wise, I think of Thaddeus Young a lot. By the way, Swiss Army Knife is supposed to do a lot of things. Does anybody use it for more than just a knife? Who uses the toothpick? Is what I want to know, or the scissors? <laughs> what do you cut I mean, like How many thread? parts are in the Swiss Army knife? Well, I, I think it depends, Kevin, on, on which knife you get. Right though, they have variations. I mean, they have some Swiss Army knives that are literally the size of a Coke machine, and and, and it's got like five thousand things on it. I, does anybody use the corkscrew? Oh yeah, of course. That that would be probably one of the more useful items. How about on there? the Phillips I would head I think the nail file would be somewhat used. <laughs> What, like, when you're camping, you just decide to give yourself a manicure? Is that what the scissors oh, are for also? I
3: can doing that easily.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, yeah.
1: All right, cologne,
2: watches, and nail file. Those are the three things Jake's packing before he's going You camping. know,
1: I, I actually just went over, and I was thrilled for it. Windsor Jewelry, which is right here on the circle. I took six watches over there the other day to get them, like, serviced and back up and running again. And so yesterday, I was able to wear one of my Hamiltons. I haven't worn it in, like, two years. Fab- I, oh. I, I, was, I was so Alexander? It is, yeah, that's right. That's right. Charles it's, Hamilton, Brooklyn Girls. Great song. Um, Hamilton, by the way, the oldest American-made uh, watch corporation. But I don't know if you could say that now because it was bought by Swatch like six years ago. But the one that I have is when it was still being made. I believe Lancaster, Pennsylvania is where the Hamiltons were made, just in case you were wondering. Um, mm, I was. Thank you for filling us in on that. <laughs> Can't wait to
2: share that with the family when I go up there for a. a for That'll impress lunch. them
1: tonight during the Euchre game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let it, now yeah. Uh, let's do a roll call. Mark, you have a Swiss Army knife, yes or no? No. Kevin, Swiss I Army might knife, have one. yes I don't or no? Know where it is? No,
2: no. But my dad definitely used like a pocket knife a good amount. Really? Yeah. For what? Like I guess it, I don't know if it was full-on Swiss Army knife, but it had some versatility to
1: it. Okay. What
2: What would be like the junior Swiss Army knife?
1: That's a good question. The, the the Danish knife? I don't know. I was going to say,
2: is this where you make some European joke? I think I just <laughs> set you up for that one.
1: I mean, I do what I can, right? Uh,
2: Should by the we way, go morning check down next leading into Casey Alexander. Should we just play on the show live on air? Yeah, why not, right? Mark, does that yeah, sound good? that's fine. All right, let's check it down next. Again, Casey Alexander coming up around 8.15. That is the Belmont head basketball coach. Again, Ben Shepard, the 26th overall pick by the Pacers, came from Belmont. So we'll get more into Shepard there. Tony East a little bit later. I'll throw that Buddy Heald question at Tony. Coming up, a Tyrese Halliburton, his contract situation. That will be a news item certainly of interest for Pacers fans this summer. And then a little bit more, Jarris Walker, college-wise, it will be Kellen Sampson, uh, the assistant to his father, down at Houston at 9.30. You're listening to Kevin Acquire right here on a Tuesday
5: morning. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: In 8 o'clock hour coming up. Kevin Bowen remote up in Michigan on a family vacation. Mark Dykton and myself. That would be Jake Query coming to you live from inside the drivehubler.com Studios in Indianapolis on Monument Circle. By the way, uh, the best of new inventory and used inventory right now from the Hubler Automotive Group, available at drivehubler.com. As for the inventory of what took place last night in the world of sports, time for a morning checkdown. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Kevin, it was fun while it lasted for the Reds atop the National League Central, but <laughs> well, back to life go? and back to reality, right? I mean, just, Mark, can you let Jake speak? I mean, that's no. just so rude to interrupt no, no, him no. with that audio it's, it's like that. 12,
3: 12 long games. It's,
2: it's time to be over with.
1: Well, they've won, what, uh, 12 of their last 15? Is that mm-hmm. the easiest way to say it? Yeah. Oh, thank you. That Great PR spin on it there. <laughs> won 80% of their last 15 games. Yeah. The Reds have been on top. Uh, Last night, Orioles 10-3 over the Reds in a game that was delayed due to Mother Nature, but cute fella getting the win. That helps me out in the race for PBR, although the Diamondbacks and Athletics both uh, idle last night. Brewers over the Mets 2-1, so the Brew Crew now a half-game lead in the NL Central. Angels doubling up the White Sox 2-1. It was the Tigers over the Rangers 7-2. Atlanta over the Twins and Seattle over Washington. That is the entire state of games last night Major League Baseball. I usually like those idle days for my athletics. Those are usually positive days for my,
2: uh, for my Oakland days. Uh, last night, also on the diamond, it was LSU. You heard the chants all weekend long from Omaha. 18-4, winners over Florida. It was 24-4 on Sunday. Florida got the w To advance to that final game three of the best of three series, LSU scored six in the second last night, four in the fourth, and it was pretty much over after that. 24 hits with those 18 runs. It is their seventh national title in baseball. SEC with a fourth straight national title. Of course, that would have been no matter who won, LSU or Florida. Uh, Second all-time, LSU breaks a tie with Texas for the most baseball national
1: titles. Number one on that list is USC. I'd like to know this. How many Big Ten schools, if any, have won a college baseball national championship? If you had to guess, Kevin, how many would there be? For some reason, Michigan's popping in my head as a national. Champion. I, I would, I would think Michigan. I'm going to go with a curveball here. Pardon the pun. I'm going to say, if you Does go, Nebraska wait, count. How, how far back? Okay, so this goes back. See, it started in '47. I was going to say like Minnesota feels like they would have won. I, I have no idea why I'm saying that. Honestly, Nebraska. That's a good one. Does that count, Mark? You got to guess no guess no okay looking back here at the college world series list of champions uh going through the big 10 here you said michigan kevin yeah that, that, that'll that be my guess the wolverines of michigan hang on hang on we're still boy a lot of southern california in here uh, oh ohio state 1966 ohio state at 27 six and one hey 64 minnesota baby The Gophers, 31-12 and in 1964. Michigan won it in 1962. Minnesota in 1960. Minnesota in 1956. Michigan in 53. How in the world did I have this recollection that Minnesota at one time had a baseball program? I guess because Dave Winfield played there? Coastal Carolina won it all in 2016. Really? Man, USC
2: 12 titles and none since 98. And really, they won all theirs pretty much in the 70s. Uh, Fever loss last night. Uh, easy now. Uh, fever loss last night to Vegas. Leah Boston, another big night for her. They've got one more out on their Western trip before they return home. Um, uh, coming up, Casey Alexander, right,
1: on the other side? Uh, we'll do Casey Alexander here in a couple of minutes. Is he calling us or are we calling him, Mark? We're, we're doing live radio. I'm calling him, yes. Okay, he's, he's calling him. Right, Kevin, real quick, rundown for me last night, the, the fun and the hijinks up in Michigan with the family. And what's on schedule uh, for today? Yeah, so the games of note last night, uh, the Ticket to Ride,
2: um, Europe edition. Have you ever played? I have not. I like the song. Never even heard of it. Oh, really? Um, I feel like it's kind of a staple in the gaming, um, not like the headset video game that it looks like I'm getting ready to play Call of Duty right now with this thing on. Uh, So that was at one table. Um, You had a Domino's game at another table. You had a puzzle and then a couple of Euchre tables. So that's what happened when the kids went to sleep. Okay, and then and Rosie was up puking. Excuse me. Rosie was puking on the bed. So I went out. I slept on the couch.
1: Wait a minute. Too outside. much. Like, was there? Do you, do you believe this is illness or was this like too I many cookies and cupcakes? Between and, you and I, I, you know, I don't know if we're ready to tell the other forty in
2: the house, but I'm afraid it's a little illness for her and mom right now. Really.
1: Well. Not ideal. Now, the lake itself. You, you, or like you're staying in the in like a cabin that's right on the water. Like where, where are you staying here in relation to the water? Yeah, I know. It, it,
2: it's. It, I think they market themselves like as a retreat house.
1: Oh, oh, he's got a. He's looking at the mug
2: here. Are there other families yeah, that are staying it. where you are? No, I mean it's just our crew. But I mean there's 41 of us here. Okay, now, the uh, did you parking situation's got to be kind of a pain. <laughs> hey, can these eight cars <laughs> we, move? I got to go to Walmart. It, it kind of, you know,
1: parking-wise, we look like we're in the co right now. That's pretty awesome. Do, do you water ski? Uh, I do not, no. Have My you been out on the water? There. Does the, the retreat come with a boat?
2: Yes, we we have been out on the water. Took Rosie in a little like paddle boat yesterday. She thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I tried to paddle faster, and you would have thought I was going 190 on 465 with her in it. Do they there's still a trampoline? Have the, I mean, the
1: kids are loving it. Yeah. Do they still have the paddle boats down on the canal? Because I tried to do that one time, and it was I was like, this is way harder than you think. Well, Jake, it's not too conducive for our um, for our size either. Correct. That is also correct. Yes. Um, I have... Mark, are you a water skier? Never been. You've never... Have you tried it? No, I've never gone water skiing before. No, I've done we've I done think like I told you guys when I tried... Before.
2: I tried a couple years ago, and I,
1: I, I don't know if I've ever been that frustrated in my life with anything. I, I would totally agree with that. And I have always said, Kevin... I know we've had this conversation on the show before. People disagree with me on this. I have always said... That the taller, unless you learn how to do it as a kid, the taller you are, the harder it is to learn to ski. And people are like, that's such a lame excuse. I'm like, well, what's the first thing you do? When you're skiing, what do you do? You lower your. Like, why was Barry Sanders so good? Because his center of gravity is so low. So. the taller you are the harder it is to stay upright in general but then also like to keep your legs straight so that the skis don't cross one another and you don't go flying like 50 feet in the air it's a disaster now tubing what about tubing do you do the tubing deal oh sure yeah i mean kids obsessed with it oh yeah
2: yeah love it absolutely love it but water skiing different story on that end so unfortunately weather looks a little bit dicey today here from a temperature standpoint i mean these kids are crazy they're like oh 62 degrees let's go in the water i'm like Dear Lord uh, Not ideal um, Let's do a short break We're, we're kind of guest loaded here Coming up in the next few segments Again, Casey Alexander, the Belmont head coach Of Ben Shepard He joins us next Tony East in about a half hour And then the 9 o'clock hour We've got Kelvin Sampson's son Kellen, who's on the Houston staff To talk some Jairus Walker Ben Shepard insight, Number 26 overall for the Pacers That's on the other side here Kevin Acory.
1: I don't know if this is a fight song, Kevin, or if we're at King's Island. <laughs> I
2: know. I feel like, all right, welcome here to the Christ the King Festival, and step on up here, Jake Query. Uh, Mark Dykton, that was the Belmont Bruins fight song. Yeah. Boy, I I can't say I've ever heard it.
3: I haven't either. Yeah, that was a first. So it was interesting, though. Kind of interesting, Inter- the, the schools that you don't really hear fight songs for,
2: how, what, their, what their version is. When did Belmont join the MoVal? Oh, very recently. I, th- this might have just been their first year, uh, I think. first or second year? Were they in the
1: Ohio Valley before that, right? With, like, Murray State in them? Yeah. Yeah. But they had a pretty decent year, actually, uh, third in the Mobile, which is impressive. Uh, their head coach, Casey Alexander, who's a native of Chattanooga. Have you ever been to Chattanooga, Kevin? No, but I've heard good things, and they've got a great golf course I'd love to play. Do they Really? Yes, called the
2: Honors Course. It is super exclusive. So if Casey has a connection, Mark, please get his number.
1: Well, we'll find out if, if he does. Um, Peyton Manning has a home near Chattanooga, if I'm not mistaken. right? Yeah, he's got some ties, certainly in the golf world down there. Maybe it's specifically for the golf reason um, that Peyton Manning belongs down there. But we're going to Dylan talk, Windler, right? What's that? Correct. Dylan Wait, Windler action for Belmont. But but he's been hurt through the the majority of his NBA career, right? It's kind of hard to, to know exactly how good a player he's going to be or how well it translates. I mean, that would be kind of the blueprint of finding out how how good the translation could be from Belmont into the NBA. Except for that, he just hasn't been able to get any firm footing. But joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline to discuss Ben Shepard the Pacers' second first-round pick, to put it in those terms, the head coach of the Belmont Bruins. And I'm assuming, Coach, that you are native of Chattanooga. I know you were born in Chattanooga. Did you grow up in Chattanooga? Uh, no, I spent my whole life in Nashville, actually. I lived in Chattanooga for five whole months. Wow, okay. I like Chattanooga, though. <laughs> Nashville's cool, too, though, but but Chattanooga um, – underrated city all right let's begin with it speaking of underrated that would be kind of the the initial thought of Ben Shepard because it would be disingenuous I think for a lot of people to say that they saw a lot of him play in college in this area but he seems to have something that the Pacers need and that is outside shooting but is there more to him give me the scouting report on Ben Shepard
7: yeah Ben made his mark as a defender um, was our best defender for three years uh, is really really good on the ball, Uh, so I don't think you're giving anything up on that end. He's not a guy that you're just going to plant in the corner and hope he makes three-point shots. A lot more versatile than that on both ends of the floor.
2: Casey, I want to go back to his recruitment. I know you were at Lipscomb for a little bit, so I don't know how much overlap you had with his recruitment, but what, if anything, can you kind of fill us in on Ben Shepard, the high school prospect, into what he grew into uh, over the four years at Belmont?
7: Yeah, Belmont and Lipscomb were only two miles apart. So I actually recruited Ben really, really hard when I was the head coach at Lipscomb, uh, and then got the job at Belmont. So coached Ben for all four years. Uh, so great familiarity there. But um, you know he was he was a guy coming out of high school that, that he was one of those rare guys that went from you know whatever six feet to six five seemingly overnight. Um, you know, so he had really, really good guard skills, but this long. Lanky, uh, very immature body at the time, um, but you could see the potential there. Really, really sound, fundamentally, um, <clears throat> really, really uh, prepared. He had a, played at a great high school, same high school as Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, so he came hmm. to Belmont uh, ready. He just physically. Uh, had to develop, and, and he and he joined our team that was um, that was really experienced, uh, a 2019 team that had won a first round NCAA tournament game, and had everybody back, and so he just had to wait his turn a little bit, but
2: um, but he was he was a good player from the beginning. I think sometimes <laughs> so Ben got asked this. Go ahead, Kevin. I just have one, one, one follow-up, Jake. Uh, ben got asked this question, Coach, in his press conference. Again, Casey Alexander, by the way, joins us, the head coach of Belmont, uh, who obviously coached Ben Shepard in college. Uh, ben got asked this on Friday in the introductory presser about, you know, he averaged, what, 16 a game, I believe it was, his junior year. That rose to then 18 a game his senior year. After his junior season, and this is just life for you as a head coach, probably <laughs> quite often, unfortunately, moving forward. What were your emotions or feelings like thinking, oh boy, Ben Shepard is about to get called by a whole lot of teams to enter the transfer portal?
7: Yeah, I'll put it in better context for you. Uh, that junior season is where Ben really emerged. Uh, we had three players on our team that year that were preseason all-conference players, and Ben was not one of them. Uh, all three of those guys were fi- were 50-year seniors and really good players. And so for him to emerge from that group, already our best defender, but he also Led us in scoring that year. Um, you know, we were, you know, we were pleasantly—I don't know if "surprise" is the right word—but it was, it was an accomplishment for him. And so, we lose seven of our top eight after that season. Five of those guys were fifth-year seniors and then graduated and moved on, and two guys transferred. So, there's Ben, the last man standing uh, out of those top eight. And you're right. He had plenty of suitors. He had a lot of people calling. Um, he had a lot of uncertainty. Uh, you know, we were we were pretty. We've been a really good mid-major program for a long time, and he didn't he didn't want to take a dip at all. Um, you know, and so it was it was a hard time for him making those decisions about what his best options were going to be. But obviously, uh, stayed very loyal to Belmont. We talked a lot about um, you know, kind of long term goals. Let's think long term on this decision um, and what it could mean for you to be. Um, you know the guy, and and have a have a significant role playing in the Missouri Valley Conference, which was our first year, and so we're glad he stayed. And, and he was remarkable from start to finish. I mean, he he carried our team <clears throat> and a bunch of new faces um, to another twenty win season, and, and his numbers were unbelievable across the board. In my opinion, should have been player of the year in the league.
1: It's interesting, coach, that you mentioned that because what I was going to ask you, you know, here's a guy that averaged nineteen a game for you. Uh, Appeared in 32 games, over 34 minutes a game, and you just said it there. I mean, he was the guy for you. And yet, I think for some players, they get to the league and they go from being the guy to now having to be a piece. And for some guys, that's difficult. Now, ben Shepherd is clearly a more mature guy because he's a four-year player. But can you give us some insight as to kind of the mindset, the coachability of a Ben Shepherd, and how that will be for him to have to acclimate to being more of a complementary role to start at the NBA level?
7: Yeah, good perspective there. There definitely are not any players uh, in the NBA level that weren't the guy, Uh, so there is an adjustment for sure. You know, I I, I literally think that his experience here will serve him very well. I mean, for three years, he wasn't our guy either, Uh, but he was really good uh, and and, and played a really important role, and and I think more than anything, you know, I'm quite certain that what the Pacers, one thing they really love about Ben is just who he is and and his character and, and the way that he goes about living his life.
0: We all felt like
7: in this spring season of workouts and combines and everything else that if he could hold his own on the floor, which he obviously did very well, that that the intangibles would carry him over the top because, um, I mean, he is a rock solid guy. I mean, he is an absolute no risk person, uh his teammates will love him coaches will love coaching him pacers fans will love watching him uh so he's the total package um when you think about a guy that you want in your organization and representing you
1: i have always felt coach and i know that ben shepherd only played a year in it casey is our guest by the way the head coach at belmont he's on the Payless less hotline i have always felt like one of the most underrated or least talked about aspects of college basketball is the quality of coaching in the Missouri Valley. I think it's one of the best coached leagues. You have a lot of mature players in it. Um, I know he only played in it, Ben Shepard did, for one year, but how much could that help him in the fact of, I'm assuming that he saw really good game plans designed against him and really smart players that he had to play against. Will that be able to offset the the gap between that and like say the power five conferences that some players get going into the NBA.
7: Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think Ben's where he is at all if he doesn't play in the Missouri Valley this year because of what you said. I think the NBA in general they they understand what a good league it is and it's a it's an extremely defensive minded, um oriented league and so you know for you to um score the points that he scored with the efficiency he did it with you know on a team that especially you know for for most of the year didn't have a lot of other weapons around him um you know that that is that's kind of instant credibility for ben and if you could do it in that league uh against those players and and against those coaches um then you know then that's that's a significant accomplishment
2: Again, Casey Alexander is with us, the head coach of the Belmont Bruins. You heard that beautiful fight song out of Mark Dykston to lead off the segment here. The head coach of Ben Shepard uh, is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, I, I'm not sure if Rick Carlisle or Kevin Pritchard you know, called you directly, but if they did, or when NBA teams called you and said, tell us about Ben Shepard, your elevator pitch to them was what?
4: Uh,
7: uh, we heard from everybody at one time or another, so... um uh, elevator pitch was it was simple. You know, I mean, it, it's up to them to decide if he can play the game at that level and be an impact player. Uh, and, and, and if they like that, then they're going to love Ben, you know, because of what I've already mentioned. He's just, he's just that guy. And I, I think, you know, he's not – I wouldn't say he's elite at everything. I mean, I think that would be a, embellishing just a little bit. But he has no holds. Uh He's a very – Versatile player on both ends of the floor. Uh, he's far more than a shooter on offense. He can make plays. He's really, really quick twitch and can get the ball to the rim. He's a he's an above average passer, so he can play in any system offensively. Uh, and then defensively, I, I don't think he's going to have any problem. I think he'll be a guy that they can put on good point guards. I think he'll be a guy that can guard two guards. Um, he's really, really good on the ball. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty low risk. Uh, once you get past the fact that he's not, um, you know, a, a lottery name, lottery pick name that comes from a blue blood and, um, then you see all the things that Ben can
8: do.
2: Coach, I don't know how much this is a product of your system. I, I'm sure a bulk of it is, but I feel like when I watch the little bit that I watched of Ben and certainly when you watch his highlights and watch you guys operate offensively, I feel like that dude is always moving. Like, he is a little bit of an energizer bunny off the ball, and, you know, you guys are running him across, you know, tons of screens, and, and offensively it seems like he is always moving. Is that more, you think, product of your system, or is that just kind of how he, he's wired? Definitely
7: our system, but it's also how he's wired. Uh, and and I think it's a really good reason why um, why he understands the the game the way that he does. I mean, really high basketball IQ – Uh, Plays really well off of others offensively, as far as cutting and moving and making himself available. Um, You know, in that versatility that I spoke of. I mean, we you know we could get him we could get him shots off pin downs. We used him in ball screens. Uh, We played him at point guard plenty. Uh, You know, and so he that's really where his game took off this year Um, when we talked about him being the guy earlier in the segment. Um, you know, he, he was just relied upon to do a whole lot more on the offensive end, uh, really of every kind of variety.
1: Coach, can you give me a story of, you know, when you're around a guy a lot, whether it be practices, whether it be at a game, whether it be a time where you went in to talk to your team at halftime and didn't know quite what to say, and all of a sudden you look down and, you know, Ben Shepard speaks up, whatever it might be. But can you give me, if there is one that jumps out to you, Just a story or a moment where you thought to yourself, "This guy is different, and this is why he's different. This is this is the kind of guy that I want to coach because of what just took place." Is there anything that jumps out?
7: Well, that was a four-year run with Ben. I mean, literally, I've never seen Ben have a bad day. Uh, I'm sure he's had bad days, but he doesn't wear it on his sleeve. He smiles all the time. He's just a happy guy, uh, really well grounded. But if you're that one moment you're talking about, he had 41 in a game his junior year, we won the game in overtime. He makes a three to send it into overtime at the buzzer, basically. Um, and I, and it with the 41 points. And I, I didn't realize until after the game that I had never taken him out. So, which is very unusual for us. We play with a lot of pace. And so it's very hard to play significant minutes for us. And you know, he played 45 minutes and, and 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 the reason why that's so interesting is he just he, he's one of those guys you, you mentioned Ener- Energizer Bunny just a minute ago. I mean he just he doesn't he doesn't seem to get tired. Uh, he never missed a practice or a game because of an injury. Um, and he's just really really gifted and blessed with a body that can play heavy minutes and at a high speed and and without losing any efficiency.
1: Were you surprised when? I mean, I, I'm assuming you probably knew maybe you were there when he got the phone call or whatever else, but if I'd have told you right before the draft, he's going to go 26th in the draft, would that have surprised you?
7: No, not at all. Uh, I mean, it would have surprised me a month ago, uh, but by draft night, we were going we to be disappointed if he didn't, uh, if he wasn't a first-round pick. We had just gotten enough feedback, and you, you never have, know how things will go on draft night with trades and everything else, but... Um, But he had been promised a first round pick by somebody uh, And it wasn't the Pacers Uh, So if the Pacers didn't take him, he was going to be taken Not too
1: long after that Now who was it? One of the other teams. The other <laughs> teams made that
2: Fair enough. <laughs> all right, Casey. Last one from me. Obviously, Belmont, we talked about Dylan Wendler, kind of open up the the segment. I know Sam Orm is, is down there as well from Carmel. I think at Lipscomb you guys had some State of Indiana guys as well. Um, what is it about, uh, certainly driving distance, it's not too bad at all, and who, who wouldn't want to play in Nashville, frankly. Uh, but what is it about maybe Central Indiana or this state that, that you and your coaching career have kind of tried to into this pool of, uh, of various prospects up here.
7: Well, w- one thing is there are various prospects up there, and so you go with the players are. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, clearly we all know um, how important basketball is in the state of Indiana, and, and there are tremendous coaches in the state of Indiana, and uh, and just our style of play. I mean, we we want guys that understand the game and can play together and have really really good skills. We'll we'll probably favor skills more than talent more than most teams will. And, and that's a lot of what Indiana is. So we've had we have had a number of guys um, from Indiana over the years, and really even in the Midwest, um, you know. And, and now that we're in the Missouri Valley, that'll that'll be an important region for us,
1: Coach. Before we let you go, I also wanted to ask, and certainly I don't want to put you in a position where you're like recruiting for another school, so mm-hmm. don't take it that way. But um, you know, Indiana State, I thought had a good year, considering they also you know new coach and Josh Schertz. He's in, he finished his second year, I think it was at ISU. Um, just your overall impressions of what Indiana State was able to do in the MoVal, and as you also yourself are getting footing within the league itself, just the way that Indiana State is coached.
7: Yeah, well, Josh is a tremendous coach. I mean, and you go back, you know, the reason he got that job is because he did so well at Lincoln Memorial University, a division two school uh, over in East Tennessee. And, and not to throw shade here, but if you can be a national, if you can be nationally relevant year after year at Lincoln Memorial, then you can coach the game. Uh, Cause that's a hard, hard place to be and to recruit to, but their turnaround this year was great. He had, he had really good players and, and he coached them really well. Um, and I don't, I would expect it to stay that way I mean he the guy wins games and um and I know they've added some nice pieces from the portal, uh, even though, like all of us, they lost a lot, he's added some nice pieces, so i would I would expect him to stay there right there in the top half of of the valley at the least.
2: Some terrific background right there on Ben Shepard. Again, Casey Alexander, the head coach of Belmont. Always enjoy watching them play and uh, looking forward to following, of course, the career of Ben Shepard right here with the Pacers. Coach, great stuff. Enjoy a little bit of quiet time if you can this summer, and uh, good luck this fall.
7: I appreciate you guys. Thank you. See you soon.
2: Casey Alexander, right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Jake, I'll go back to one of the first comments he made. Ben Shepard made his mark as a defender first. Boy, that was yeah, that's great news, right? You know, I I said to you Friday, probably one of the first things I said to you Friday about Ben Shepard. You know, when you have a mid-major guy drafted in round one, he's a scorer and I guess don't even throw the round one label on him. When you have a mid-major guy that's a great score, you often think, or at least I do, that guy can't guard anybody because why would he be at that level? But he really kind of blossomed into a little bit more of the score. He averages two points per game his first year at Belmont, Um, so I do think this is a guy that can do a little bit more than just fill it up, which obviously 41 in a game is junior year, 35 and 33 as a senior. Um, Sounds like a really, really kind of solid piece. A little bit of a Nemhard, maybe a better shooter there. Uh, Matt tweeted this at me. "Uh, That is Chris Duarte's replacement. Jake, it's hard not to say yes, that is Chris Duarte's replacement, even though Duarte is still on the roster. That's a really fair
1: assessment, Uh, and Again, I, I don't know why or how it came to be, but Duarte just seems to have fallen out of favors unfair because that's to make it sound like they don't like him as a guy or whatever it may be, but just you just forget about him, Kevin. That's I, I, terrible to say, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, we, I forgot Duarte's still here. And I think and, – And there was – yeah, and kind
2: of going off that, Jake, so, sorry to interrupt, there was something that Casey Alexander also said that is the opposite of Chris Duarte in the NBA – Ben Shepard never missed a game, never missed a practice at Belmont. Availability has been an issue for Duarte here in his couple of NBA seasons, and that's just the unfortunate nature
1: of his professional career so far. In terms of the money that the Pacers have to spend and who they might be looking, uh, you know, the, the last roster spot, what they might do, are their trades still in the forecast? Tony East will join us next. We will get into exactly that. You're listening to a Tuesday edition here. Good morning to you. Kevin Inquiry, 93.5, 5, 107.5 The Fan.
2: Thank you to Casey Alexander. That is the Belmont Head Coach podcast will be up. Really enjoyed getting some insight into Ben Shepard there. We will do the same thing with Jairus Walker coming up in the 9 o'clock Hour. That'll be around 9.30. Kellen Sampson, the son of Kelvin Sampson, uh, who's on the staff with Houston, is going to join us to talk about Jairus Walker from a collegiate standpoint after we got a little bit of high school insight into Walker yesterday with Brian Nash from the IMG Academy. Uh, do we have Tony East on the line? We've got him. Tony East joins us now, locked on Pacers, covers the Pacers for SI, and he's been a busy man, of course over the last handful of days. Tony, good morning.
9: What is this order of guests? I'm sandwiched between quite the people this morning.
2: Well, I mean,
1: some some could say the middle of the sandwich is the best there, Tony. That's right. You're the meat of the matter, Tony. Um, speaking of the speaking of the meat of the matter, let's get to this question right away because we've talked about Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard. There's still a roster spot for the Pacers, and – uh, you know, O'Shea Brissett's out there. I I don't know that necessarily that they, that's like the first call that they make, but in what areas do you believe that they are exploring in terms of how where they may go now?
9: Yeah, it still has to be forwards to me. I mean, yeah, they drafted Jairus, and he certainly will have some sort of role coming for him. You know, we've seen since Rick Carlisle took over, his lottery picks play somewhere close to 28 minutes per game. So something like that for Jairus Walker makes sense to me. Uh, but the rest of their forwards are, you know, Aaron Niesmith and Jordan Laura and that's kind of it. So I still kind of think they need a lot more there. You know, the, Chad Buchanan did say they pursued some of that high-quality wing talent but weren't able to find a deal around the draft. So it would not surprise me if that's where they were looking in free agency. And, yeah, they only have one roster spot. So if you are O'Shea Brissett, George Taylor, James Johnson, you're – kind of thinking maybe a trade is going to be needed by the Pacers to open up a spot if you want to come back because if they go after that wing, that's their whole team. So I still think they're going to be going after players like that in free agency. They still need depth at the forward spot and we'll see if it involves any of their own guys or not.
2: Okay, Tony, let, let's actually throw some names out there. I know it's not maybe the favorite thing that you like to do, but that's the reality of kind of where the Pacers are at right now with over $30 million in cap space available heading into this weekend. Um, stop me when you hear or don't hear names that you think should be on a realistic free agent list. Harrison Barnes, Trey Lyles, Jeremy no. Grant. You've, uh, already, you've already hit
9: one of the the most realistic ones to be in Harrison Barnes. I mean, okay, Kings didn't... The Kings draft night, they cleared that cap space in that in that draft night trade, and you know you don't do that unless you have pretty big plans with that space. To me, at least, and uh, Barnes is a free agent. Perhaps they just bring him back, but it seems like he's somebody that they are potentially willing to let go to use their space on somebody else. And the thing about him is, you know, he is he isn't the biggest ceiling raiser ever, but his fit with the Pacers would be great. He could play the three or the four. He played for Carlisle for years in Dallas, and. Um, they have a pretty good relationship and Tyree Talbert talked about Barnes being a good influence for him early in his career in Sacramento like his connections to key Pacers figures is it runs deep. He, he he plays the both of the could play both of the positions the Pacers need depth at. He isn't like the most amazing player, but he, he could do stuff on both ends of the floor. I think he'd be a pretty dang good fit for what this team needs. Obviously Trey Lyles as an indie kid would be great. And Jeremy Grant I think's probably the dream for the Pacers. They're gonna need Damian Lillard to be to be calling some shots really quickly if they want to have a shot at that one because I mean he's a wonderful player on both ends of the floor, but in terms of Within their budget, realistic target, Harrison Barnes seems like he could be a pretty good fit for this team.
2: Okay, and then I think your latest Locked on Pacers podcast covers this topic, so encourage people to check that out. Tony, on the Tyrese Halliburton contract extension that is expected to come, I believe, very soon here. Tony, uh, could you fill us in on exactly how much debate there will be with this extension? I, I feel like there's not a lot of back and forth. It seems rather obvious for both parties Pacers to give him the contract that he deserves, and obviously Halliburton to then sign that. And then this has no impact on this year's cap space which is in the 32 to 33 million dollar range correct
9: that is correct yeah it would kick in in the 2024-25 season once his current deal is done and i think this is the biggest and most important part of their summer by a mile i mean if you can lock up a player of that caliber at age 23 or so i mean if they lock him up on a five-year extension on top of next season like he'd be under contract through 2029 i mean that's just unbelievable the nba to have a player for that long like that is the top and most important thing for the pacers this summer and if they can pull it off or get it done as quickly as possible that would be huge for them you know we could find out as soon as june 30th uh, that that when the free agency period opens and yeah there's the moratorium so it wouldn't be official it'd just be those little news leaks we get but i mean if they can get it done as soon as possible and i'm sure they've you know had those conversations started that would be significant for them. And up to five years, it's hard to guess exactly what the salary cap number would be next year. And that was what influences what the the money would be, but it's going to be over potentially over $200 million in that span. But he's an all-star at 23 and was in the all NBA mix before he got hurt twice. Like he's certainly worth that to me and is only getting better and could make that look, quite frankly like a bargain if the cap keeps rising like it looks like it could so uh that that's the most important thing of their offseason season to me and if, if they if they get him on a five-year deal with no options on the end which will be a point of negotiation uh, i mean that their offseason is basically an aid to me no matter what else they do so that's the biggest
1: thing for them to do we'll see how quickly they can get something done tony east is our guest he's on the payload stickers hotline tony one of the fascinating things to me about the pacers um y- I don't know. Every three days, I see some article somewhere typically attached to the Lakers about trades that involve Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, it's always those two together. Like, it's never one or the other. For whatever reason, it's always the two (laughs) of them together. Um, How much do you believe that the Pacers have actually shopped those two guys? And do you believe they're on the roster because Indiana truly likes what they bring or because they just simply haven't found the right fit to come back.
9: Well, for a while it made sense to me why those names were in trade talks because, you know, before the Pacers really took off last season, like nobody thought they would be as good as they were and Turner was on an expiring contract, Shields was not that long left, like that's generally how teams that aren't supposed to be good operate. They they trade away their stuff that they could lose for nothing in free agency for something and like that's just good business. And so for Buddy Heald specifically now, I still think that may, has some merit, right? I think you'll hear him until he, if he signs an extension, then maybe this goes away. But if he doesn't, he's on an expiring contract and he's a veteran. Like, that's a player that, you, ha- I think you have to think about trading at any time for any team, right? Like, you, losing guys for nothing is just bad asset management. So, uh, yeah, him being in all that stuff makes sense to me. Turner not so much anymore now that he's got his extension done and is their starting center and is a very good player and fits extremely well with their team. And in terms of how aggressive those, those talks actually go for them, I kind of view it more as like willing to take calls, but not actively shopping perhaps in Heald's case. It's a little more uh, blurred just because like I said, he is on that expiring deal and, his value goes down as the season progresses, and he becomes more of a rental. But I don't think Turner is somebody that they'd be necessarily looking to move, especially after the extension they just signed him to. And I think it's just a case of, at the th- for a while, it was that they were perceived as a rebuilding team, and they were veterans with shorter contracts. But now, as the Pacers push and, and want to be better and good this coming season. You know, Heels' contract is still expiring, but they're just good players, and it's not that's not something a team that wants to win games just actively looks to get rid of before the season even starts.
2: Tony, on the Buddy healed front, Jake and I were discussing this a little bit earlier. And again, Tony East is with us here. SI.com covers the Pacers. Locked on Pacers is the podcast. Um, outstanding work, per usual, from Tony all throughout this draft coverage. And that will certainly continue with free agency starting here in just a couple of days. Um, you know, if I was going to pencil in a starting lineup for the Pacers, and obviously this could change a whole lot here very quickly, but Halliburton... Matherin, uh, Turner. I, I assume Jerris Walker for now. That two spot for me. I, I just assumed it was Buddy Heald, but you know I'll, I'll go with Scott Agnes. And Scott mentioned Andrew Nemhard in the starting lineup. I think it was yesterday when he was filling in from noon to three. And obviously, Scott is incredibly plugged in, certainly compared to me on the Pacers front. But I, I just feel like Buddy and the starting lineup would benefit more from him, his presence than Nemhard. And I kind of like Nemhard a little bit more dominating the ball with that second unit. Um, how do you view a, a, a very June 27th look at a starting lineup, in particular, what you do with Buddy Heald and Andrew Nemhard?
9: Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky balance of those positions, right? We heard Matherin talk about on ESPN2 earlier in the offseason kind of how he where he views the positions that he did call himself the three potentially as the start of the season. So, you know, I kind of thought maybe it would be Halliburton at the one, Matherin at the two, and then some sort of wing, you know, added or maybe even a defensive just knee-smith throw him in there uh, at some point just to, to get the right bodies out there. But, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Either way in terms of heel the demhard, like I'm with you that the way that, that group would shake out with, you know, Walker, and Turner and Halburton. You know that can really shoot it and Turner a lot of times can. He finished at thirty seven percent last year, but I think you would need a little more shooting with that group, especially with Walker and Matherin being question marks, uh, in, in the pros as as to how well they'll be able to shoot the ball from deep and Heald's spacing was really big for every young Pacer last year, and now that the team's trying to be a little better, and we know that Heald is absolutely at his best playing with Halliburton. Their chemistry is what makes it makes both players better. You know, I would try to put them together as much as I feasibly could if I'm the Pacers, and yeah, they have to think about their long-term future. If that means you start Andrew Imhard, you start Andrew Imhard, but like you, Kevin, I think there is more opportunities for him to have the ball. If he is with the second unit, who knows what T.J. McConnell's role is going to look like, too, but you know, I, I think that that will be a, a tough debate for them to figure out. Late last season, right, they started Matherin and Nemhard and had Heald come off the bench, but Halburn wasn't playing, right? He wasn't a part of those lineups and discussions. I think they're trying to figure out what Buddy Heald's role will be, though, right? That was something Kevin Pritchard mentioned in his end of season presser, and when he was talking about extensions, is they've got to find a, a role for Buddy Heald that makes sense for both the Pacers and for Buddy Heald, right? I think there is still questions about what that is on this Pacers team, especially with. The young guys they have in the mix and so it might just depend if they get another if their wing acquisition is a shooter maybe they don't need to to have yield in the starting five but I, I think there is good sense in starting him and having his spacing out there and his his chemistry with halberd as a part of the opening unit
1: tony one of the things that i think you probably understand better than most if not everyone is in fact the cap and, you know, the the cost, the flexibility that a team has to have in in terms of where their dollars are going and where their dollars can be freed up. I want to go back to what you were talking about earlier. As of right now, you know, Halliburton, we know, is about to get a a big-time deal. But the Pacers are in a position where they're going to have to really start looking at the salary numbers and getting creative when How long is the window here where they have some flexibility before it's about to get real and they're going to have to make difficult decisions?
9: Yeah, a year and maybe two, you know, because Halliburton's extension wouldn't kick in until the season after this one. And as it stands, they only have one player making over $20 million, which for a team that wants to be good is, like, unheard of, right, in the NBA, with how quickly salaries are jumping. Like, the lowest max tier now... Starts at like thirty-four million dollars, right? Like salaries are climbing fast in the league, and so having only one player making over twenty million in Turner, and next year Turner's salary goes under twenty million. I mean, that that's just unheard of for a team trying to be good. So their cap right now is really clean, right? So they don't have to make those tough creative decisions yet, and they have at least a full year before Halliburton kicks in. But even then, they won't have anybody super expensive. So it kind of depends on what they do this summer. If they sign somebody to a long, big deal. Uh, at this time, and that player fits really well and it's worth it, then great. Um, but then they'll have less wiggle room to work with next summer. And then after that, they, they're probably looking at, you know, Matherin's extension would be coming up uh, on his rookie deal and anybody else they bring in, certainly they'd have to continue to sign. If they if they signed them, they, they would presume they're a good fit. So I think about a two-year window now to kind of figure out what makes sense to have what salary slots where, which is a, still a pretty – Long time to, to sort things out, especially if they have Halbert for, you know, five or six years locked up. But it, it I, I've kind of said that this summer they'll have to start thinking about those long term ramifications. But really, they don't have to be mega creative or really squeezing every dollar out of, out of the, the cap until maybe 2024, 2025.
2: All right, Tony, last one for me, and I, and I know it's not the most pressing um, storyline, but the name recognition is there, and his strength is the Pacers' weakness, and that was the two-way contract for Oscar Shiboy out of Kentucky. Again, a dominant, dominant rebounder at the collegiate level. Could you explain the two-way contract situation for the Pacers, how Shiboy fits in, and what that means potentially for their two second-round picks in Mojave King and Isaiah Wong?
9: Yeah, two-way deal. So he can split time between the Pacers and the uh, whatever their location is, Mad Ants, this coming season. They're not playing in Fort Wayne, but they're not in Noblesville yet. Um, so they're G League affiliate team. And so uh, that that's kind of perfect for him, right? The rebounding is obviously incredible. 15 per game as a junior. It's just a ridiculous number to see. Uh, and so that, I mean, that is usually a skill that translates really well from level to level. We saw that with Terry Taylor. Of course, even with the Pacers, and he was only six foot five, so I imagine he boys going to be a beast. On the, I mean, I saw him at the combine; he was scooping up every miss. I imagine at the G League level, he'll be able to do that. The question is, what does that look like in the NBA, and what skills can you pair with it? Right, because his finishing definitely could use some work, and you know his away from the rim skills need some work. So that'll be the questions for him on what that means. But I mean, yeah, the Pacers have been <laughs> rebounding for forever. So in a pinch, if they need it, yeah, put him out there, see how it goes, and. Uh, we'll see what that means for the rest of their backup bigs because they have a bunch, right? They have Daniel Tice and Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith all in the mix. So even if he is healthy all season for Sheepway, it's gonna be unique situation where he might just be a development project all year given what they have at the moment. But in terms of the rest of their two ways, you know, I thought that when they at first when they signed Sheepway or you know, agreed to with him that it would be him and their second rounders, but it sounds like, you know, we've seen it. Uh, reported by uh, iPacers and Dustin De- uh, Dopierak that Mojave King's going to be a stash. I don't know exactly where he's going to play this coming season. He's a couple seasons in the NBL in Australia before. Um, those. I don't know how well those went for him, so who knows what he'll actually end up playing this year. But uh, it sounds like he'll be a stash and won't be with the Pacers. Isaiah Wong and Kendall Brown would be my predictions for the other two Pacers two-way slots. Kendall Brown, they picked 48th last year. Uh, so we'll see where those end up, but those are good development gambles, and they have King's draft rights whenever he does, you know, decide to come to the NBA. So that's that's what I would predict happens with those two ideals, But you know, anything can change uh, given moves or anything that could happen in the coming days.
1: Tony, it's interesting to me because a year ago, you know, this time a year ago, we were talking about how the Pacers were basically just starting over from scratch, and, and here we are, uh, you know, and we thought turner to your point we didn't know where that was going to go we didn't know if he was going to be flipped into other pieces we didn't know how good Halliburton was going to be or that he was going to have that kind of year are we already a year later to the point where they have the the, where basically the overhaul is kind of done and now it's just a matter of adding a few lego pieces on the side of it but the main core is right there and now it's just a matter of watering it and watching it grow
9: yeah, that's kind of the the big question, really. And Kevin Richard, when he was talking about it, it, was like, do you keep adding to the foundation or are you ready to put the walls up, right, as you build your team-building house, whatever you want to call it? And, you know, that, that that's a tough one to answer because, to me, you know, Matherin is 21, Halliburton is 23, right? They have all this other stuff that's great, but I still think that they're a young team, and adding young pieces is, maybe the way to go with some patience and so you drafted Jairus Walker and you maybe somehow add a, a young forward and free agency and then boom you've got a team that you can kind of split the difference on which isn't necessarily the best way to team build but you kind of just grow organically for a while until you know you're ready to, to sign the big guns but I get in their situation going well we have this potential all-MBA level talent our You know, our center was amazing this past season. Buddy Heald's an Ironman who can shoot it. Like, when all those guys were playing, we were really good already. Like, we're ready to be better. And they were a playoff-level team when just Turner and Halliburton were available, regardless of other pieces last year. So, you know, I understand them saying, yeah, we could just throw some pieces onto the side of those guys, and we're ready to go. We're ready to run, and we can figure out the rest of it as we go because we've got a long runway with – with Halliburton and Matheron on our team because of restricted free agency and extension. So, yeah, I think that his Halliburton's ascent into you know an elite ball handler last season and the way it went, worked out for the rest of the Pacers and their growth too uh, certainly means they can uh, afford to not be as patient and just kind of go for it now.
2: Yeah, I think letting it grow naturally. I could not agree more on that front. Halliburton, Matherin, we haven't really even seen them in the starting lineup together. Let's see what happens over the course of the year. And, and you obviously you still have got enough in the cupboard to make some moves moving forward. All right, Tony, last, last one. Where's the bachelor party?
9: <laughs> uh, we'll see. Hopefully tucked away in the mountains of some, some little town you've
2: never heard of where no one can bother me for four days. Wow, oh, what's your boy? That sounds like a hell of a time. There goes our invite, Jake. <laughs> 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 wow. Okay. Do we do we have it narrowed down to any states where these mountain ranges are? I mean, not to n- infringe Wyoming. too much on your privacy here. Wyoming. Yeah,
9: that'd be fun. Out like somewhere, Montana maybe would be really cool. Um, somewhere like that, you know. Again, a town you've never heard of, and you'll never hear of it again
2: after I after I mention it to you. Very on brand right there from Tony East. Well, congrats again, Tony, (laughs) on the engagement. And uh, I know it's going to be another busy week and weekend for you. Always enjoy our convos, man. Have a good one.
9: Of course. Thanks, guys.
2: Tony East. Kevin, where was your bachelor party? My bachelor party was in Cincinnati. We played golf. We did a Reds game. We lost money at Jack's Casino.
1: Okay, not bad. Mark, your bachelor party was where?
3: We went to the rooftop of the Cubs game, saw Cubs Pirates, and then we walked around the streets of Chicago, went to Goose Island Brewery, went to uh, a video game arcade place that had beers and all that stuff. It was headquarters, I think it was called.
1: Dave's first Fun bachelor times. party was almost that exact itinerary. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, hmm. see, I'm. Jake's. Yours would be at Crown Hill. <laughs>
3: Everybody gather around for a seance.
1: Is that, is that because I like Crown Hill or because I'll be dead? Which one are we going with here? Um, All right, before we take the tour, everyone drink this before we go into the cemetery. <laughs> now, uh, here's the thing. At 50, like w- what would a bachelor party consist of? Oh, you could hey, turn back the clock if you want to. I mean, I don't have any any say in it, right? It would be whoever the best man is? Take a couple
3: of Tylenol PMs and see who stays awake the <laughs> longer. <laughs>
2: All right, Byron, start planning it. Here we go here. I'm just saying, right? It'd be by committee, probably. <laughs> We'll see. All right, we'll see. nine o'clock hours coming up. Kellen Sampson is going to join us around nine thirty. That would be the son of Kelvin on the staff at Houston to talk more. Jairus Walker. We'll sneak in a pop quiz to close out the show. Maybe a little Colts conversation on the other side. Haven't done that a whole lot today. With the training camp schedule being announced later today, we'll do a little Colts content on the other side. Kevin Aquary, right here on a Tuesday, nine o'clock hour.
1: Inside.
5: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: The drivehubler.com studio on Monument Circle. Kevin and Query here here, 935-1075, The fan. Colts. Uh, I almost said spring training. Training camp getting set to get underway. Kevin, we anticipate. Uh, you said probably... Late afternoon, early evening is when kind of the schedule will all be released. Yeah, I want to say there's an announcement at Grand Park coming up
2: around five today. Um, yeah, I don't know why we need the whole big announcement on it. Let's just let's just get the schedule. Let people plan. Do you not realize
1: how things work in there. the NFL?
2: I know, I know. Is this going to be uh, like a I'm, regular
3: season schedule release where they're like, and on <laughs> August 16th, we're practicing at 7 p.m. And on August 17th, right. we're practicing at Ab- 7 p.m. That's right. Abby's hat
2: pick. Who can predict the 16 straight camp practice times for the Colts at Grand Park here? Head to Jim Ursay's Twitter. uh Yeah, Mark, yeah, it, it is probably going to be something along those lines obviously a big storyline i assume around grand park and we'll see how things play out will be the jonathan taylor contract situation i know we've talked about it a little bit but it kind of struck me the other day when you look at running back money in the nfl there is a clear attribute you have to have as a running back to be the highest paid Jake, what do you think that attribute is? If you want to be one of the one or two highest-paid running backs in the NFL, what is the attribute that you need to have with your game?
1: Ability to catch the football.
2: Mark, can we ding it? Sure, we'll ding it. No mayo plop there from Jake Query. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got to play on third down. You got to catch the football. You know, it's... I don't know. Maybe most fans would realize that, and and maybe it's just, you know, this is how the NFL operates in 2023. Um, But if you look at the running back contracts in the NFL, I think Derrick Henry slots in at third with 12. I want to say it's 12.5 million annually. Two running backs in the NFL, so the top two guys make 15 million or more Mm -hmm. annually. Those two names would be Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. They are pretty much hybrid wide receivers at this point in their careers, and have been. They've been great third down, catch the football guys, super dynamic in that role. Jake, looking at that, And Jonathan Taylor's usage, it's not like he can't play on third down. I think there have been moments where, honestly, he's been a bit of a liability on third down from a pass protection standpoint. Uh, He's also made some big plays in in the passing game. I don't ignore, ignore that. But given that, Kamara... North of fifteen, McCaffrey north of fifteen million a year. Then it drops to Derrick Henry at twelve and a half million. Do we need to be looking a little bit more at the Derrick Henry price range when we talk about a Jonathan Taylor contract, or is he going to sniff the third down guys, if you will, with Kamara and McCaffrey?
1: I just think, Kevin, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I'll tell you why. There were not a lot of things. I, I, Bill Polian. I hate to always go back to something of like 20 years ago, but it is the blueprint in this town of the building of a long-term sustained winner, right? He didn't believe in overpaying for running backs. And that's one area. There were areas where I philosophically disagreed with Bill Polian. and that was not one of them. Um, I just, Kevin. I don't believe. I think Jonathan of the Taylor's a wonderful player. I, I think he's a tremendous player. He seemingly is a really nice guy, and I would simply call him in and go. You know what? It's to me, running back is not about paying for what you're getting. It's about what you would have to pay for the replacement. And if you are getting a replacement in today's NFL that is giving you seventy percent the production of what you had the previous uh, of what you're weighing against, but it comes at 10% the price, then I'm going with that every single time. So I, I don't know that I would even look at, to me, the, the, the value of Jonathan Taylor to me, I hate to say and cop out that it's irrelevant, but it, but to me, it's irrelevant because I wouldn't pay it, Period. Yeah, and I don't – I think you and I side on the
2: – and I certainly side on the you don't draft a running back till day three. But, uh, you know, we have to live in reality here, Jake. Jonathan Taylor is on the football team, and they have a decision to make with Taylor. So you, you obviously have to acknowledge that. And, and again, I, I think the Colts will pay him. Um, do you think – and, again, I, I guess I'm asking you to put the Chris Ballard hat on, not the Jake Quarry hat, not the Kevin Bowen hat – when you look at those numbers, okay, third down, he doesn't have a huge presence, would it scare you at all that you're talking about a guy that in three years at Wisconsin carried the football 926 yeah, I, no, times? Yeah, no, I think
1: absolutely, and he has not shown that there is, you ever, you ever go out, you ever done the penny test on your tires? um i have not but walk me through it again so you go I've out to your it. tire if, if you're like wondering if your tires are too old and you take a penny and you put it in the tread of the tire and if you can see like a, you're supposed to if you can see the top half of who's on the penny is it lincoln abraham on, lincoln lincoln's on the penny yeah Come on. we can see the top <laughs> half of on. i mean it's been a while since so i've been my penny <laughs> if you can see the top half of, of lincoln's head then then that means that you need new tires because the tread has gotten too low. Indy I, Car I, should make that a rule during pit stops. <laughs> Take out your pennies, see see how your tires are doing. Um, Santino Ferrucci, the
2: head's
1: showing <laughs> the. But with Jonathan Taylor, it, to his credit, that you have the penny has been swallowed every time because he has shown no signs of the tread wearing down. But eventually, he's going to Kevin, and when that happens. Kind of like Derrick Henry. I mean, Derrick Henry has had – obviously, he's been dinged up over the course of his career. But now, all of a sudden, from a health standpoint, like with Derrick Henry, it happened almost overnight where, like, now his reliability is – you just never know. Because he's got a lot of mileage on those those tires. And so, too, does Jonathan Taylor. And and he has been unbelievably reliable for the most part – in terms of his style of play. I mean, like, his speed has not dropped. His agility yeah, has not dropped. father time has not been seen. Correct. But it's going to happen, and when it does, you have to weigh that in. You have to, right? You know, Henry was so, so durable
2: throughout his entire NFL career, and then, you know, he suffers that foot injury at, at Lucas Oil, uh, not this past season, the year before that. That's when he was sidelined for half the season. He did come back last year and played, I think, close to every game for the Titans. Um... Uh, you know This take here from Robbie Robbie just texted me this and, and this is one that I, I can't really argue against at all and it's probably why I will sit here whenever that Taylor extension happens and say alright, a little bit shrug of the shoulders but what else were we going to do? Robbie goes, it's not like Chris Bauer is paying big free agents Taylor uh, it, it's not like Bauer is paying big free agents. Taylor is a playmaker one of the few they have they should pay him. I, I, I get it. But I, yeah, I mean, I it's not like they're it's not like they're spending the money anywhere else. But it goes back to the draft for me, Jake. You know, if you take a dude in the second round and he has the type of three year run that Jonathan Taylor's had so far, there should be no debate on what type of money you spend or giving him a second contract. But because this guy. He plays running back there is that question like if you draft dudes in the second round they should be on the side of lucas oil stadium for seven to ten years that should be the goal whereas with taylor and with running backs in general the debate comes okay three four years and then we'll find a new one and we'll
1: run him into the ground after three or four years I, kevin i go back to i want to be emphatically clear here jonathan taylor and the time that he has been a cult has been nothing but a wonderful player with tremendous highlights. He can salt he is a weapon. There is no doubt he is a weapon. I mean, you look at the Patriots game. You know, Colts trying to salt clock. They hand it off to John of the Taylor. He's off and running. What 70 plus yard touchdown or whatever it was. I mean, electric, dynamic, unbelievable. But at no fault of his, and I feel bad for the guy, but at no fault of his, he just plays a position that, unfortunately, that kind of money has to go elsewhere. You can he, – here's the thing. But does Ballard spend it elsewhere? Like, uh, I, I mean, that's a fair question. It's not like you're
2: paying a quarterback anytime soon. It's not like you're paying a left tackle anytime soon. It's not like you're paying a pass rusher anytime soon. That, I think, is the argument. And I know it's not like the greatest argument in the world to re-sign Taylor, but it is something you have to acknowledge given
1: Ballard's history. I just think you in in today's NFL, you can win with an average running back so long as you have solid pieces elsewhere. I don't know that you can win with a solid running back if you have only average pieces everywhere else. And I think he's a wonderful player, a wonderful talent, and has been a great representative of the rep, of the franchise, etc., etc., etc. None of that to me adds up to more than ten million a year. I, I, I just and, and he is going to demand. I'm not saying he himself, but I mean the market is going to say. But then again, Kevin, we could sit here and say the market dictates that he's going to get 14 to 16 a year. But is it? I, I think mean, it's
3: all about the guarantees this year, more than just the average contract. People just want the upfront, fully guaranteed money. Right.
2: Yeah, I think length of the contract and guarantee, Mark, to that point. Probably more than annual value of what, what it'll look like. I, I just got this text here. I, w- I would pay Taylor before Pittman. Pittman is going to want wide receiver one money, and he's not that. Taylor right now is the most explosive player on the roster. Pay the man his money. My argument to that would be who's Anthony Richardson throwing the football to? I mean, that's the problem, and that's it. I. Jonathan Taylor I care more about Richardson's pass catching weapons than I do Taylor obviously matters to Richardson but I care more about who he's throwing the
1: football to than who he's handing it off to Kevin there's no doubt that Jonathan Taylor is the most dynamic playmaker on their roster there's no doubt about that the problem is now the problem is now the future and where they're putting everything and where they're handing the keys is to a guy who the entire selling point and feature of Anthony Richardson is the long vertical game because of the power of his arm and so, based on that, that doesn't do you any good to have him sitting there, turning around and hating it off on the regular. You you have to air it out because that's that is football in twenty twenty three. I and trust me, I, I love the running backs. I mean, I love watching great running backs. I I I, I love it. And he is – there is no doubt, no denying he is the best playmaker on their – here's the bottom line. He is the best playmaker on their offense. There's no doubt about it. And if and if you are a team that is relying on Jonathan Taylor being your best playmaker on offense, you are 6-11. That's it. You, you have to develop your long vertical passing game. Mark, you said we got a call here from Matt yep. on this topic? Uh-huh. What's
4: up? What's up, Matt? Hey, fellas. I, I believe that Ballard is going to pay um, – JT, and he's probably going to give him oh, 13 or 14 a year for four years uh, because that's really what he does. He's going against the grain of what the NFL is doing right now. I mean, who drafts a guard in the first five or six picks and pays him 20 to $22 million a year? Only Chris Ballard. <laughs> he's the only guy that doesn't understand how the game is played these days. And I, you know, maybe if you go all in, you can end up being a team that uh goes six and eleven i i i see that because they don't have any any long-range weapons they've got a quarterback that's not going to be ready from what it sounds like they're going to put him out there anyway um but i i just think they're going against the grain of what the nfl is doing so why not pay a running back more money than
1: so do you do you did. agree with them going against the grain or do you think that they have an antiquated approach
4: i'll say this i i think they have an antiquated approach but i if the line were to actually be functional they could make it work um i'm not saying they can't go 11 and 6 i i am more in the camp of you know 5 and 12 for the next two or three years um but that said if, if they get some chemistry and they get a line back together it, it could work
2: Appreciate the call, Matt. Jake, I I feel like, and I think Matt is spot on, by the way, when he throws out the length and the annual value for what a Taylor extension could look like, four years, 13 or 14 million in that range. Um, When I hear this debate, it just drums up the Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis debate from the Pacers a handful of years ago. It may be less than that. We're going to be the contrarian. We're the small market team. We're going to do things differently. We're going to play these two bigs. And we're going to be the ones that gets the last laugh. Well, we saw how that worked out. And I just feel like that's where we're at with the Colts. It's that, oh yeah, you pay great players no matter where they play. You draft a guard at six. You, you take a running back in the second round. You draft a linebacker and another guard early in the second round. Well, we see where that's gotten this regime. It's nowhere close to where you should be at in a division that is annually the laughingstock of the AFC. So when is Chris Ballard going to have that Kevin Pritchard moment of you look in the mirror and you say, enough is enough, we're going to do things differently. I thought you took a step in this year's draft with that, but if you continually hand out the money to the Braden Smiths and and the Shaquille Leonard's and the Quentin Nelsons and the Jonathan Taylor's of the world, you're going to be stuck with an archaic build of, I think you've made the analogy before, Jake. It's like, you know, building a log cabin on wherever in some, you know, beautiful Carmel neighborhood here. Like it, it just, th- that blueprint does not work. And it just, uh, it, it surprises me given he came from Kansas City that this is the approach that he continues to take. Seeing how Kansas City said, hey, we had Alex Smith, enough's enough. They made a a bold move, a bold trade, and now look at them. They've been
1: the class of the NFL here over the last you know six years. I remember when I was in high school. I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but it's applicable in a lot of situations when you're talking about sports. Um, I don't remember the circumstances when I was talking to Dr. White, who's the principal at North Central at the time. But I was making the case of an outlying approach on something. And he said, Jake, you are exactly correct. There are exceptions to every rule. But what you will find is that success is often found in going with the rule without ruling out the exception, as opposed to going with the exception and avoiding the rule. And I feel like the Colts have tried to the Sabonis-Turner is a is a prime example of that, Kevin. The Pacers tried to go with the exception instead of following the rule. And they realized very quickly that wasn't going to work. And I don't know if the Colts have necessarily had that school of thought, but they have, for whatever reason, avoided addressing open space receiving playmakers. And, and, and when you look at the teams that are successful in the NFL... And competing today, they have open field. How many times have you watched a a team, be it the Chiefs, be it the Rams, be it the, uh, you know, on the 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 Bills, Eagles, the Eagles, where you were rooting against them, and they looked dead in the water. And then all of a sudden, on a third and long, when it looks like the game's going to end because they're going to turn the ball over and lose the game on downs, they get the ball in open space to their guy who once again absolutely punches you in the throat and you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe they just converted that. Because they have open space playmakers. And the Colts don't have them.
2: One last thing I'll say on this, and again, Kellen I mean, they have Sands, Taylor, but, ju- but
1: again, you, you, it's different, right? And how you get on the ball.
2: Kellen Sampson, Houston assistant, going to join us here in about 10 minutes to talk about Jairus Walker. At times in their NFL careers, you can make the argument that any of these four players have been the best or one of the best players at their respective spots on the field. That would be Taylor at running back. That would be Nelson at guard. That would be Buckner at defensive tackle. That would be Shaq Leonard at linebacker. So at various points, any of those four have been the best or one of the best, and look at where that's got you. A running back, a guard, a defensive tackle, which I think matters a little bit more than, than the others, and a linebacker. Imagine, for a second, if you had those types of talents, and let's throw quarterback out the window, because that's that's fairy tale land. Imagine if those guys played receiver, or corner, or defensive end, or tight end, or left tackle, some other positions that matter more. Do you think we'd be sitting here, still talking about a team that hasn't won a division title in the Chris Bauer tenure? Talking about a team that has only won one playoff game? Talking about a team that just went 4-12-1 in year six of his regime? I don't think we would. At all. And it is a priority of positions. And in today's NFL, the priority of positions matter. And he has chosen not to go down that path. And that's
1: why you're here where you're at right now six years into it. And the let me ask you this, Kevin, before we get to the check down. Now that a quarterback's been selected... Now that the Etch-A-Sketch has wiped clean and it's like, okay, the Chris Ballard era, the the lack of playoff success, the lack of division wins, we're going to excuse all that because you had a quarterback that retired unexpectedly and then you went through and you had really bad judgment on a couple of guys that you thought were going to be great quarterbacks, but now you have your guy, a young guy that you're building around. That buys him time But the question for you, Kevin, is this. How many seasons does that buy him before the seat gets hot if they don't start showing progress?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I I would think in the two- to three-year range because I am a big Shane Steichen believer, Jake, and I think it'd be such a disservice as a franchise to all of a sudden you fire Ballard, the new GM comes in and says, Shane Steichen? That's not my guy. I want my fingerprints all over this. That is the difficulty you get to when you fire a head coach but don't fire the GM because you get to this awkward point a lot of times in regimes where wait, now we're firing the GM, and we already have the head coach in place, but the new GM comes into play, and he wants to be the one that hires his head coach. Things can get awkward real quick. Jim Irsay is banking on, obviously, Chris Ballard getting a second chance here, and him and Shane Steichen and that marriage working. So I think you do need to give it a couple of years, but I probably say that more than anything of a little bit of fear factor in if and when you do fire Ballard, all of a sudden, Shane Steichen sitting there is a bit of a lame duck. And that's a huge disservice to Anthony Richardson if you continue down this hypothetical.
1: Uh, Kellen Sampson going to join us about seven minutes from now to talk about Jairus Walker and what he did for him at Houston. But before that, time for a morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Omaha! Omaha! 93.5 five and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, Major League Baseball last night it was the Orioles. Cute fella over the Reds 10-3. That's three straight losses now for the Reds. Drops them out of first in the NL Central because Brewers beat the Mets 2-1. They now have a half game advantage over Cincinnati in the division. Angels over the White Sox 2-1. It was Tigers over the Rangers 7-2. Mariners doubling up the Nationals 8-4. And the Braves 4-1 winners over Minnesota.
2: I think there's a crazier college fan base across all sports than LSU. Not a, nope, no mm-hmm. chance. Zero. I mean, they're nuts. <laughs> they are exactly that. They are nuts. Their bats were nuts last night. 18 runs on 24 hits. That is correct here. 18 runs on 24 hey, hits. No. <laughs> <laughs> is that Farmer Danmark? Farmer Fran, yeah. Barbara Brand. Uh, they win going away 18-4 last night for the national title. Seventh for LSU in their history of a baseball program. That breaks a tie with Texas for second on the all-time list. We looked it up earlier, USC number one on that list. Uh, but LSU, they were just outright dominant last night. Florida did score two in the first, but LSU had six in the second, four in the fourth, and the onslaught was on from there. So Brian Kelly and his family partying hard last night to celebrate the tigers
4: Who's
1: who is the greatest player <laughs> in usc baseball history Ooh,
2: gosh i have no idea did, why is daryl strawberry popping in my head there's no way he went there
1: mark mcguire went there didn't he oh did he really i'm pretty sure mark mcguire went there where did daryl strawberry go did he go to college That's a good question, too. Um, There's got to be a list somewhere of, like, major league players from USC. I'll have to look it up here.
2: We just have Rachel and Annie, two of the little cousins, run in here. They like to jump off these platforms in here, Jake. It makes me nervous that I'm supervising them while now doing a radio show.
1: That's kind of fun, right? I mean, how's that any different than when you're right here inside the studio? Here they are, Jake. They're going to jump off here, Rachel and Annie, right now. Go ahead,
2: Rachel. Jump off. Whoa, Look that's a that. huge jump! We got a future gymnast right there, Annie, diehard Pacers fan uh, in Vegas. Okay, used to live here in Indy. Her family has league pass. They are big Pacers fans. She was nervous that TJ
1: McConnell would be traded. No,
2: th- that is a three-year, uh, three or four. Annie, how old are you? Four years old and she was worried about TJ McConnell getting traded.
1: You can let Annie know TJ McConnell's not going anywhere, and when he's if he is traded, he's still gonna come back and work in the front office one day.
3: Randy Johnson, Speak- Tom Seaver, some USC some USC names. Uh Mark Pryor,
1: Barry Zito, Mark McGuire. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh wow. So they got rich history. But they Who haven't won a stole? title, right? Since
1: Tom Seaver's it then. Yeah, I said Tom Seaver, yeah, that's, Randy that's Johnson. That's, that's that's absolutely it.
2: Uh, Speaking of Vegas, the aces of uh, Las Vegas WNBA beat the Fever last night. So I think that's two in a row, the Fever have lost since winning their first game out west as they are on a four-game road swing and last but not least we'll get a training camp announcement from the colts later today for a training camp schedule Uh, we will do that i think it's at five o'clock today if i'm not mistaken so certainly
1: look for that information if you are head to grand park
2: later this summer to watch the colts
1: daryl strawberry by the way played at crenshaw high school in la and then went straight to play professional baseball
2: Yeah, boy, I was way off, way off on that one. All right, I'm going to do some box jumps here during the break. Kellen Sampson joins us on the other side to talk to Jairus Walker.
5: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: You are listening to Kevin Inquiry
0: on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan.
2: All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. And yesterday we got kind of the high school background on Jarris Walker. Today we'll get a little bit more of the college insight. And he is an assistant coach for his father down at Houston. He is Kellen Sampson. And he joins us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, good morning.
8: Hey, good morning to you guys. Hope all is well up in Indianapolis.
2: Coach, your first time seeing Jerris Walker, I'm going to guess the physical presence of him stood out. What do you recall about that first time you walked into a gym and saw him?
8: Just how ridiculously confident he is. Um, you know, you're talking about a kid who at, at age 14 left home and, um, never went to a public high school, never, never went to, um, you know, uh, a school down the street when it came to high school. I mean, he, he, he literally is the, is the byproduct of the European model, right? Is he went to uh, a club at age 14 and, and trained for four years at IMG. So the first time I saw him because of the pandemic was the summer before his senior year of high school. And, and I just couldn't get over how confident and assured of himself he was, um, just never seemed rattled and, and had just this awesome demeanor in, in everything he does.
2: Was there anything in particular, and I guess I don't know exactly the order of how, when you saw him versus your dad or how you know scholarship offers work, but what I guess struck you that said, hey, we have to offer this guy, this guy is a Houston Cougar without question? Yeah. Uh
8: you said it first you look at his physical stature. I mean he uh I mean he looks like a, a, a guy that's a seven year pro um when he walks through the door. But uh, just he he's blessed with a with an awesome basketball IQ but an awesome basketball skill set. I mean he's he's uh you know, six seven, two hundred and forty five pounds without ever lifting a weight. He's seven two and a half wingspan. And he's as easy he's as as much a candidate to not only snatch the rebound but also put it on the deck and then make the right play as he is uh coming out of nowhere and blocking a shot. I mean he's um we've done a heck of a job finding uh under-the-radar under prospects and developing them into something, Jarrett was not that. <laughs> Jarrett screamed at you that uh, he's going to spend nine months on campus, and if you don't screw him up, he's going to get taken uh, with the eight pick in the drafts, and fortunately
1: we did. Coach, one thing that is very obvious in watching Houston play, and, and it was true, obviously, at Indiana and at Oklahoma, in Kelvin Sampson's teams, and Washington State for that matter, Um there's a it is a swarming level of defense and it is absolutely just like a dogfight. Anytime you you watch Houston play, did Walker have to learn that or did he walk in from the get go of? Because I think that it takes a special breed, does it not, Coach, to buy into being a nasty defensive base team? Because guys all want to score. Did he have to learn that?
8: Yes, I mean I think that um, um, you know he. he, he there are things that came really natural to him he's a natural rim protector he's a naturally uh, uh he's gifted with with natural anticipation skills for to be all of to be a terrific defender um but to your point n- nobody walks through the door ready to be a tough gritty relentless um competitor on the defensive end you have to you have to surrender to the process around here, but I'll give Jarris all the credit in the world. This is literally a kid who could have gone anywhere in America uh, to go to college. He chose Houston, knowing that it was probably going to be hard. You know, we're not known for for easy practices. We're not known for uh, a carefree, come as you go existence here, uh, and and that was certainly the case for Jarris. He, he chose difficult because he he, he knew in his people and his family knew it's what Jairus needed to accomplish his goals and dreams and I remember talking to so many people in the, in the draft processes uh, Jarris chose Houston even though he knew um, that he was going to get pushed outside his comfort zone and comfort levels like no other I, I can't think of a higher praise for that kid than, than that
1: what is outside his comfort zone what areas did you notice him looking uncomfortable
8: you know, it's interesting. Is given how physical he, uh, how physically imposing he is, um, playing with great physicality didn't come natural to him. It's one of those deals is that he's always been so big. Uh, he spent most of his youth being people thought he was three or four grades ahead of who he was, and so. Uh, it, Everybody was so quick to, to call fouls on him. They were so quick to, to call a charge or over the back or all this other stuff. And so Jarrett, over time, developed, learned how to play without contact because people or little kids used to flop on him all the time. And so by the time we got him, or he got older in high school and we got him, he didn't have a great feel for how to play with great physicality, and he almost avoided contact too much. Um as a byproduct of just being the biggest, strongest kid uh, his whole life. And so uh, we really had to work at um, getting him uh, getting an edge back with him. Um, but I'll give all the credit in the world to Jairus. Is that he's not too big or too uh, to try anything. He is unbelievably ridiculously coachable. Um, we've never had a freshman here who was as in, who was as intelligent and asked as good of questions as he did uh, as a freshman. I mean, most freshmen you get they're asking those brown nosing kind of suck up questions just so that the coach thinks that they're really paying attention. Whereas Jarius asked the pertinent. Deep, important questions that he knew he would be responsible for. Um, just, just blown away at who Jerris is from the shoulders up.
1: You know, it's interesting, Coach Kellen Sampson from the University of Houston is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Mm-hmm. When you only have a guy, you know, it's not like you had him for four years, right? But even right. in that time frame. Did you see growth out of him? And 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 there are some guys that want to grow, and other guys that don't realize that they're just doing it organically. Which did you see out of him? And what areas did under your watch you see him develop?
8: Yeah, yeah, look, we knew if it went well with Jarrett that we were going to have him nine months. But even in his Jarris unpacked his bags here. Um, I don't think he was. He never took the mindset or he never took the approach that I'm out regardless i'll be you know, it was always i'll be out if if that's what um if that's what the obvious answer is to be and I think that you know, one of Jar's greatest gifts is that he's ridiculously always in the moment with you. Uh, He's in the moment for every workout. He's in the moment for every practice. He's in the moment for every film session. And because of that, he gets better in such huge leaps and bounds. I mean, you're talking about a kid. I thought he got better every month he was with us. Um, He became a better shooter. Uh, He became uh, a more diverse offensive weapon uh, he, be, he became a much better finisher and scorer inside five feet, which is where I didn't think he was terrific when he first got to us, but we, we worked, we worked, we worked. But I, I think that chairs learned to give uh, terrific multiple efforts on the defensive end um, and just really took to seeing that as, you know, I think he was always a good defender, uh, but Every month, Jersey came to understand the value of becoming a versatile defender. Not just a guy who gets steals or blocks, but a guy who can, you know, win first dribbles, take, you know, really be aggressive and challenge and win closeouts. And took a lot of pride in his defensive effort. I mean, against Auburn, uh, his second to last game with us, I mean, he had seven block shots and he raced um, numerous defensive mistakes. On, uh, along the way so um, I think with as basketball savvy as Pacer fans are they're going to fall in love with Jarrett
2: Coach, I was hoping you could expand a little bit more on kind of that defensive nerd stuff. You know, this franchise has been, frankly, pretty horrid on defense over the last handful of years, and that's with an elite rim protector in Miles Turner, but so many breakdowns on the perimeter and just guys getting into the lane. You bring up that Auburn game, I think the Miami game as well. He had another really, you know, nice rebound block standpoint in the tournament. What made Jarris the type of defensive player that obviously the NBA clearly coveted in the desperately need?
8: Well, first of all, it starts with his, his intelligence. Um, d- uh, bad defenders are dumb defenders. Um, and, and I think it starts there as you know, Jarris gets a lot of blocks, but he also doesn't get in a lot of fouls because he doesn't needlessly go for shot fakes. Uh, he doesn't needlessly gamble his way out of position. He, 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 he's very calculated with um who what when and where he, he 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 uh challenges passing angles, passing lines. Uh he's got terrific timing and body control coming over on the weak side and, and um sending back uh especially slot drives. He he's just he's he reads it well and he's and he's gifted in that regard. But um you know, if Jarrus was a defensive end, uh he would be a Combine freak uh, in Indianapolis every year. I mean, he is given his size, his length, his his athleticism, his ability, and his short area quickness and burst to win first dribbles and and to close out, drop his hips, and win first bounces um, is awfully, awfully impressive. He can trap or hard show or, or, or hard hedge any ball screen that you're asking of him, but he can also switch and stay in front of. Of of um, jitterbug guards. I mean, I think you know. At no point in time did we ever have any concerns, especially once we got the conference play with him switching on onto point guards. And I think it, the numbers bore out that in one-on-one situations, um, Jarris was as a, as an elite of an ISO defender as there was in the country, and that's a combination of his length, his athleticism. I just can't overstate um, how intelligent and smart he is at, at at in scramble and broken court situations.
1: Well, Coach, I appreciate the time this morning. Uh, just out of curiosity, like for Father's Day and, and Christmas every year, do you just get your dad denim shirts? Is that how that works? <laughs> like, like is he like? Well, wait a minute. You've given me forty of these, but I could always use a forty-first, right? Well, you know what? One of the best parts of COVID is he is we've totally
8: gone away from um all that and and then you know he was always a blue shirt red tie guy forever and for always
1: um he's a golf shirt polos. guy now right We are straight polos but then yeah. how about this we we are we are sweatpants. Uh, We don't even wear khakis. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) You and the rest of the world, man, it's beautiful. Hey, listen, watching Houston basketball, I got to tell you, it's—I mean, it is frantic and it's like a roller coaster because of the way that you guys just suffocate and take teams out of rhythm, and and as a as a spectator. It, it's like a roller coaster ride so i can only imagine from a coaching standpoint it's an organized chaos but it's an impressive chaos and obviously it works so um curious to see how that works out for Jarris walker here and how he brings that intensity to the pacers but the insight this morning is certainly appreciated we appreciate it very much
8: you guys have an awesome day have a great summer and uh, we look forward to seeing J- Jarris and the uh, blue and gold come uh, come november
2: thank you coach appreciate it you guys be blessed that is kellen sampson right there on the payload slickers hotline jake when i'm looking for a workout i just watch houston games because i sweat imagining myself bringing up the basketball against them
1: uh, uh, totally i mean you watch and it's just i watch their games and i mean they are frantic as hell that's the best way to say it right it's like they nolan are. richardson's 40 minutes of hell but what are you going to do? Really enjoyed that insight.
2: Again, Casey Alexander earlier on Ben Shepard. So more on these first-round picks for the Pacers. Mark will have those up on the podcast. Tony East, outstanding. As always, a little bit more big picture as the Pacers enter another important week here with free agency starting this weekend. We will close out today's show with the pop quiz. That is 317-239-1070. Give us a call today. A little bit of a baseball-centric pop quiz from Scotty.
5: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
2: Brown things out. Studied you
4: handle the
0: pressure?
2: Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz
0: with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil chain since 1985.
2: All right, it is Pop Quiz time here on Kevin and Query. A baseball-centric before sprinkling in quite an infamous 2013 NBA draft to round things out
1: uh jake query a number one through eight i will go with since we just talked to kellen sampson and he's at houston and houston has the record for most final fours without a national championship to their credit and i think they've been to six final fours i could be wrong on that but i'm going to go with that anyway and say the number six mike
4: there. i did not know that
1: stat jake yes sir
4: i'll wait i'll wait
8: on a couple of guys
0: what a dumbass
1: whoa whoa. <laughs> whoa easy mike, <laughs>
2: mike.
0: calm down
8: Man.
3: you
1: there hey, mike, mike. Well, morning he
8: told me that yesterday
0: and i thought L-.
3: okay i don't think he's paying attention uh, mike, he's... pull him back up again i right, we sure
1: we want to do this Miller that Light the mike lights, are you mike. there mike do you know you're on the radio
8: all right, i'll head down there and get a big table okay i'll okay, well, get a big table right. mike, what the hell enjoy your it? lunch all right,
0: all right. <laughs> big table he's got a party at <laughs> 10 all right we'll go to bill <laughs> bill keep it clean man hey by the way i do love it real quick uh it's bo and not bill but that's good. For God's sake. good. last time i called in jake because you know you guys educate on this program that's the thing i love about this program is that jake educated me on where bo jackson got drafted by what nfl team last time i was there so
1: thanks jake Nay, hey, no problem and that do you remember do you remember the team Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is correct, sir. And then yeah. later, hey, of Bo, course. Thank you for not cussing here. You know, <laughs> baby steps on this pop quiz. That is impressive. Uh, all right, Bo. Um, Bo also, by the way, the nickname of what music legend?
0: Mm, I don't know. I'm not uh, not that familiar and educated with the music uh,
1: genre. That would be Hank Williams Jr., who goes by Bo as his nickname, by the way. Oh, I was going to say really? Michael Jackson. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, now if you would have said Bo the uh, the big bull, I would have got that in a heartbeat, man. There's
1: only one Bo <laughs> Look at you, man. <laughs> Bo, uh, just out of curiosity, Bo, what line of work are you in? Mm, uh, mortgages. You sound so like I a do, fun uh, guy.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's uh, it's a fun position because you get to help people out, man. I was in staffing before, so I help people uh, get jobs, and now I help people, uh, you know, get homes. So it's, a, That's it's cool. a rewarding career.
1: All right, very cool. Would you like, for me, that would be Jake, or would you like for Kevin to lead you off with question right. number one?
0: Well, being I'm a big fan of both of you, I'll go ahead and I think, uh, Kevin, you did yesterday's lead off. I think the guy picked you since you were on vacation. He was on vacation. So, Jake, roll with it. Those are regular. All right, we got to do Look it fairly quick. Uh,
1: Reds Bro's are in Baltimore. One eighty from Old Mike, if I must say. that. <laughs> he is. Uh, Reds are in Baltimore facing the Orioles this week. The series is a rematch of the '70 World Series. Name the future Hall of Famer who was the MVP of the 1970 World Series. I believe his nickname was the Vacuum Cleaner. Johnny Bench, Frank Robinson, Tony Perez, or Brooks Robinson.
2: Uh, I'll go with Johnny Bench. Number two here, Bo. LSU's win over Florida in Game 3 of the College World Series last night gave the Tigers their seventh national championship. We've mentioned it several times in this show. Who tops that list for the most national championships in college baseball? Is it A, Texas, B, Southern Cal, C, Arizona State, D, Miami? Uh, Let's go, Texas. Texas.
1: Fight on for you. Question three for you, Bo. Uh, What pitcher also happens to be leading the majors in home runs this year in terms of from a batting standpoint? Would that be – Let's go. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Would it be Shohei Atani? That's my guess. Okay. Right there. (laughs) All right, Bo.
2: Number four here. Name the only pitcher in Major League Baseball who has reached double-digit wins this season. I think he started the All-Star Game maybe last year or the year before. Uh, a. Marcus Stroman, B. Zach Gallen, C. Shane McClanahan, or D. Nathan Evaldi. Wow, man, I am not a baseball fan,
0: and I po- wait. First off, I'm a baseball fan. I'm just not knowledgeable anymore. So you just Mark started
2: get- Rays pitcher, right? Started for Correct. you got yep. kind of. 17 syllables Mm -hmm. on the last name. Yep. Yeah, I'll take the, I'll take the uh, selection item
0: of A, B, C, or D with the guy with the longest last name. I think, you, don't know, <laughs> oh, okay.
1: you don't have to, you don't have to repeat him. All <laughs> right, so, final minute Shane of the McClan. program. Ten years ago today, the Cleveland Cavs took Anthony Bennett with the number one overall pick in the 2013 NBA draft. He played collegiately at a school that we used to jokingly call University of No Learning Value. Was it Maryland, Kansas, UNLV, or Georgia?
0: Let's go UNLV.
1: Okay. <laughs> Uh, right, 30 Bo, seconds left. your effort yeah, yeah. there. <laughs> well, you, you just threw us some extra time there, no, Mark. No, to, I told you
3: the out earlier. We've got two minutes. We're
1: He's fine. Still, We're to have to rush But anyway, uh, Brooks boy. Robinson, by the way, was the vacuum cleaner. Of the third baseman for the Orioles was correct for question number one. Bo went with Johnny Bench. It was You'll Southern Cal for number two. Otani was correct. McClay. Uh, McClanahan. Yeah, the guy with 13 syllables. And UNLV is correct. Um, What do you guys think Mike was doing? Do you think that was a little under the table deal? Pretty pissed at the table, it (laughs) sounded like. I think it sounded to me like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that got dicey for a second. Mark I Dyson, was, were you on the buttons there? Yeah, I was getting a bit nervous. So Mike must have been trying to get a table at a restaurant, which is interesting because it's 9.55, so where could he be? Oh, Denny's, IHop, I mean, have a late breakfast, right? A brunch place. Oh. Starbucks. Uh, and then he was upset with some, clearly with wherever he was, the host or hostess was not doing a proper job seating, right? Because mm-hmm. they were a, a, you heard the Go ahead, phrase Jake. he used. No, that's okay. And, and then he needed a big table, right? Yeah. A tin top
3: Uh uh-huh i probably should have like kept him on
1: hold and just listened in oh no question but how do you how do you call it a radio show get put on hold and then completely forget that you're on hold i mean he was on hold for what like 30 seconds yeah this is very long mike is mike is you know morning
2: instead of morning coffee morning oj morning water i think mike likes a cold one early
1: (laughs) (laughs) kind of sounds that way doesn't it speaking of that Uh, uh, cold
2: one for you later today kevin cold one for me you boys enjoy it the rest of the week i'll be in next week mark dykton great work on the guest today the podcast will be a must listen casey alexander belmont head coach tony east kellen sampson boys i'm
1: off to spider lake all right have fun enjoy the water skiing mark we're back at it tomorrow yes sir all right have a good tuesday everybody we'll talk to you